With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the, the news recently, and the idea that they're going to allow or not allow the 9-11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia. I just, mm. I think that story is perhaps most interesting as a proxy for this geoeconomic warfare that's going on right now. And uh, again, I think it's about this uneasy, the uh, increasingly uneasy alliance between Saudi Arabia and the United States, which, as you say, has been part of the backbone of the dollar system yeah. of the past few decades. There's definitely a wedge there, and I don't know if that wedge is is necessarily going to to sever the relationship altogether, but it is certainly having an effect. And it, this is part of the long-term reorientation of the world towards the East, China, and Russia. And I think Saudi Arabia is also inching its way towards that that uh, that that alliance more so than the U.S. one. I guess it's the question of when that breaking point is reached and how how it will be reached. Uh, unfortunately, I was just going to say, unfortunately, with those types of changes, they generally are preceded or proceeded by warfare. Well, who are we going to fight in Saudi Arabia? I mean, it's if that's what you're implying, if you're implying that there may be some sort of a scuffle between the United States and Saudi Arabia, um, how many drones bigger, do we need? Yeah, the bigger picture would be the... Um, Russia, Iran, China, maybe Saudi Arabia, maybe if they include themselves in that, and all of their associated entities versus NATO, I think that would be more more what we're looking at. Again, it's the, the sort of bigger picture of what's going on here. Saudi Arabia is just, I think, a proxy for that, mm-hmm. that change that's taking place generally. All right, James, we are just about out of time. We've got 10, 15 seconds left. Anything you'd like to add? Uh, not that I can think of, but where can, the point of, where can folks locate you besides the CorbettReport.com? Is that the best place to find you? It is the best place, but I'm also at, uh, you can read my editorials at TheInternationalForecaster.com. Okay. And of course, I have FukushimaUpdate.com as well and uh, a number of affiliated sites, but you can find links to all of them on CorbettReport.com. All right, James, thanks very much. Always a pleasure. Always interesting. Look forward to talking to you again next week. I'm Alfred Adisk. Uh, This is Financial Survival. Melody and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, James Corbin, and his children and his wife. Good night, folks. I work all night. I work all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dream, I have a friend. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a
is their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
to sling a little mud in my four-wheel drive. Trick it on into town. Shoot a little late ball down at the pool hall. Drink a beer with my friend. Now don't judge me and I won't judge you. Cause we all get judged in the end. Some people care about what other people think. Worry about what they say. Good afternoon, all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It's Friday, May 20th, 2016. It's about seven and a half minutes after noon Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we are, in fact, live. Live. And this is the last live show for me for this week. So, if you were thinking about calling in... Now's your last chance for the week. 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980. Although, don't panic. You know, next week's another week. Unless, of course, the whole world goes kaboom, and uh, then we'll all be doing something else. But as things stand, you know, you can always call back in Monday. But for this week, this is it. You can also go to the chat room, which is open 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, you don't even have to check and see if there's a live show on at all. You can just head on into the chat room, and usually, not always, but usually there is somebody in there. And apparently, it seems as though no matter what time of day or night you uh, you know you hit up the chat room, there always seems to be somebody in there, which is cool. Anyway, so you can do that, but during a live show, you can also participate, because I do drop in, uh, you know, I take a look, and during the break, I go in and chat, usually, and uh, so there you go, uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger, another way to contact me directly, my screen name is AVRN Talk. all right, let's get to it, well, first thing I want to... Slam on is uh, 
Well, Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck, this guy, you know what I'm starting to I'm starting to get what's going on with this guy. You know, he was vehemently out there for Ted Cruz. Oh, he's the savior. He's the anointed one. Oh my goodness, Ted Cruz is uh, God wants him. Pray for Ted fast for Ted Cruz. You know, and Beck just went basically off the rails for Ted Cruz, right? Well, Ted's gone and uh, you know, Beck's back at it. Now his next boyfriend is Zuckerberg from Fedbook. That's right. I read, uh, now there's another one out here too, and I didn't read it. I just read the headline, but I read the the one from yesterday about Beck just gushing over Fedbook and Zuckerberg. Oh, he's so this, he's so that. Now, what does he say here? Here's the headline. Beck of Revelation. Facebook. Most important system of my lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Wow. This is the most important system of your lifetime, huh? Yeah. Well, hey, let's not... uh... Boy, yeah, I guess that's more important than the electrical system, huh? Glenn, you moron. What, what, what is he, like, a 12-year-old or something? Oh, Facebook's my most important thing ever. Ooh, I, I, I gotta get on Facebook or I'll die. You know, then I find out, okay, I start reading around and I go, okay, let me see, what, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, other than the obvious, he's an insane, you know, you know, clown. Okay. Well, it turns out Glenn's got some financial problems with his media empire. And he could have really used some political influence like from the White House. Huh? He could have really used some inside coverage of the Republican nominee. You know, that would have boosted his prestige as a media mogul, (laughs) right? But Ted didn't make it so Glenn's back out hawking to somewhere else, and it's Fedbook. So what's Fedbook got to do with him? Well, obviously, he depends a lot on Fedbook. He brags about how many followers he has and all that, uh, millions, and... uh, Also, I found something else out. He uses now Fedbook as their streaming platform for his, well, I don't know what it is, a TV show. This guy is out trying to, well, save his little empire because he needs to hook up with somebody somewhere of immense wealth or influence or both. That's what Glenn Beck's doing. He's nothing but a prostitute, okay? He tries to come across as this very emotional, very religious, very spiritual, very everything, whatever it is you think is good and nice, and we should help him. Glenn Beck's a fraud, okay? In my book, 
that's what he is. So, you you know, you can like him or not. And that's not to say that every once in a while Glenn Beck doesn't do a good interview with somebody. Uh, I mean, when Beck was on, what was it? Was it CNN or was it Fox News? I keep getting confused. But, you know, his show when he first started wasn't so bad. I, I actually watched it a few times, and I didn't mind it at all. Compared to the other, you know, talking head news shows, I didn't mind it at all. But, you know, he's kind of gone off the rails, I think. But that's just me. So that's that's what it is. So anything you hear, you know, Beck saying, just remember, everything he says, he seems to be saying that, you know, uh... I'll say whatever I need to say in order to get the support I need to get. Barbara Boxer's in the news. And I think I do actually have this. I, I actually pulled this whole article up. Yeah, I did, because it's it's got some little tidbits in here that are are telling. Senator Boxer claims Bernie supporters made her fear for her life. It was scary. Oh, lady, you just buckle up and wait because it's going to get a lot scarier for you. You think Bernie Sanders supporters are out of control? Yeah, you wait till the economy, you know, hits the uh, wall and we all realize that scumbags like you that put us here, yeah, you want to be scared, you're going to be scared then, but you won't be scared for long. Senator Boxer was booed off the stage as all hell broke loose at the Nevada Democratic Convention last weekend. She also claims that Bernie Sanders supporters were so unhinged that she feared for her life. Now, wait a minute. These are These are Democrats. She's a Democrat. Why would they boo her, huh? Well, maybe because they recognize she's a sellout. You see, the Bernie Sanders supporters are misled, misguided, and I don't think they're really supporting Bernie Sanders. And this is just my my opinion. I don't think they're supporting Bernie Sanders because every little moron out there is a communist. I don't think they even recognize or understand what communism really is. I don't think half of them even know that Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. I don't think they know any of this. I think what they know is that Bernie Sanders is out there railing against the corporate interests. He's railing against the Democratic so-called representatives of the people that have sold them out to the corporations. He's railing on that. And I think that's what they are attaching to because they know it. Everybody knows this is what's been going on. You think they what? You think they snuck this all by everybody that, oh, hey, the government has given corporations, and not just American corporations, multinational corporations free reign of to do whatever they want to do. You think 
they snuck that by everybody that nobody notices that they did this? Everybody knows they did this. The thing is, everybody's been sitting around going, well, shoot, what do we do about it? What can we do about it? I mean, here's the government and the corporations teaming up against us, man. We seem a little outnumbered. Good golly, what are we going to do? Am I the only one that sees this? So you sit there on your couch, fuming, pissed off, and going, boy, these dirtbags, boy, these scumbags, and every time a survey comes around, hey, yeah, 9% of the American people like the Congress, trust the Congress. Yeah, 12% like the president, trust the president. You know, I mean, come on, really? 9%, 12%? But, you know... Nobody knows what to do. So here comes this old guy. He gets up there and starts railing. And everybody goes, yeah, what that guy said. The same thing is true to a degree with Trump. The people are fed up. So here comes a couple of guys railing on everything we're all fed up about. And it's like, yeah, what he said. And this is why. If we're allowed to have elections, Donald Trump is going to trounce Hillary Clinton. Not because all you Republicans decided to say, well, okay, let's just all vote for Donald Trump. No, it's because all the Bernie Sanders people are going to say, you know what, I'm voting for Trump because at least he's against all these people. Yeah, he might be a Republican. Yeah, he might be a businessman. Yeah, he might be a used car salesman. Yeah, I don't care. He's against them. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Ever hear that one? I didn't make it up. I wish I did, but I didn't. That's what it's all about, and the underlying thing, which Donald Trump has touched on, See, Bernie Sanders hasn't, because I think Bernie Sanders is basically a, uh, well, a globalist himself. He just doesn't want to sacrifice the American people for globalism. So he says. But Donald Trump has touched on it, that the problem is globalism. Really, this is the issue. There is one issue in this election, folks. And you've got to focus on that. Oh, we can talk about whatever we want to talk about, but understand and always drag it back to one issue. One issue alone. And that is globalism versus Americanism. Okay? If you're for globalism, which means dragging the United States down into a, what we used to know as a third world sort of economy, third world social uh, you know, morals and all that, third world everything, then you want to vote for Hillary Clinton because that's her agenda. Because she is a globalist. And it's not just Hillary Clinton, okay? It's the Republican Party, too. Now, they've kind of shut their mouths and decided to go, oh boy, we better go sit down in the corner over here. But you know what? It's too late. They already exposed themselves for what they are, and what they are is globalists. Ryan, the head of the, the Speaker of the House, 
I'm telling you my opinion is, and my opinion is based on some evidence. I can't prove it, but at least I have some evidence to point to. I believe that he is a democratic plant, meaning I think he is, to his core, a democrat. I think he knows he's a Democrat. I think he's there pretending to be a Republican. I'm a Republican, yada, yada, yada. That's like Hillary Clinton just standing up one day and saying, you know what, I just switched my party affiliation and now I'm a Republican. Well, that's not going to change Hillary Clinton. She's still going to be Hillary Clinton. Oh, and now she can call herself a Republican. That's what Ryan did. He is married to a millionaire Democratic lobbyist, Barbie doll, okay? Oh, let's see. Let me see. If I was the bad guys here, let's just think for a minute, folks, and let's think about winning. Let's think about how serious it is, what serious business it really is taking over the world, okay? Let's just say... You're one of the bad guys. Wants to take over the world, okay? This is big business. You got to pull out all the stops. You got to do whatever's necessary. So here you see this dweeb who calls himself, oh, yeah, I'm a Republican. Uh, I'm a dweeb. I, you know, I couldn't get a date if I paid her. So what do you do? You send in some blonde Barbie doll to sweet talk this loser. Oh, so, oh, baby, you're so hot. Yeah, oh, let's get married. So they get married, and she's nothing but a Democratic Party operative with lots of money. Gee, honey. Well, let me ask all you married men out there. How much influence does your wife have over you? Now, I guess somewhere in your little mind, you can think whatever you want to think, but you better do what she wants you to do, or your life's going to be miserable. And let me ask all you married guys out there that are basically kept men, where your wife makes all the money and has all the money. Now, how much do you get to do? You'll do what you're told, boy, or you'll be out in a cardboard box. Your lifestyle will take a definite turn for the worse if you don't do what you're told, boy. Well, that's the Speaker of the House's position, okay? That's what you've got apparently running the Republican Party in the United States House of Representatives. Yay, go Republican, right? Ha! Now, here's Boxer. Uh, let's see here. Listen to this. Earlier Wednesday, California's other Democratic senator, Barbara Boxer, said Senators uh, Sanders sent supporters should attempt to, quote, change the primary process, but not to go out there and throw chairs and to put people's lives in danger. Listen, because the Democratic process, as put forward and ratified, by the two parties, is being carried out. Oh, 
So let's see. The two parties are supposed to be the ones running the politics of the country? I don't think so, you wench. The people of this country decide how we want things done, not a bunch of uh, you know suit-wearing, Wall Street-sucking parasites deciding, oh, I wrote a rule down. This is the way we're doing things. Oh, Hillary gets 50 million delegates just because we gave them to her. Now let's have an election. <laughs> let's just change the rules for whatever helps Hillary. After all, she bought off the Democratic National Committee. Oh, yeah, she transferred funds from her campaign straight to the committee because they were broke under the watchful eye of Wasserman. Yeah. You know, and and she thinks that's okay. We should be nice, and we should play nice, and we should play within the rules of the parties that the bosses put down because, well, that's the democratic process as we wrote it down. Yeah, that's what you should do. Ha! Boxer felt threatened after outbursts and threats at the Nevada Democratic Convention. I feared for my safety, and I had a lot of security. Now listen, I this is a quote she told CNN. I feared for my safety, and I had a lot of security around me. I've never had anything like this. Okay, now remember that. This is what Barbara Boxer says. Now, you see, this. I'm going to demonstrate how this woman cannot even keep her lies straight in the course of... One interview, all right? After Sanders supporters thought the Nevada Democratic Convention was being shut down prematurely, shouting ensued, and there was reports of chairs being thrown. The phone number and address of the chairwoman of the Nevada Democratic Party, Barbara Lang, was posted on social media, prompting a flood of more than 1,000 calls, angry voicemails, text messages, and even death threats. Gee... Here comes Boxer again. It was a scary situation, said Boxer, a Clinton supporter. What a surprise. It was frightening. I was on stage. People were six feet away from me. Oh, those nasty, those nasty little serfs were so close. I could smell them even. Well, she didn't say that, but. If I didn't have a lot of security, I don't know what would have happened. Let me give you a little clue. It doesn't matter how much security you have. When you're surrounded by an angry mob, they will tear the heads off of your lots of security. And then you'll be there by yourself, Barb. Hey, I know. Maybe you should start packing a gun, huh? Oh, no, that's right. Barbara Boxer's against guns. She doesn't believe in guns. <laughs> well, Barbie, get used to being afraid then. Here's something bad. But, of course, this is an ongoing story that's never going to get better because it doesn't matter about droughts or anything like that. It's the fact that, look, we... You, <laughs> 
Las Vegas uses, and, and so does Phoenix. They use too much dying water. They built a stinking city in the middle of a desert. Okay? And they built them bigger and bigger and bigger with no thought of, oh, uh, gee, we're going to run out of water. So, you know what? It doesn't really matter what the weather or anything else does. This is like saying, oh, well, you know what? We have too many people on Earth. We have to kill a bunch because uh, there's just not enough to go around. Well, you know what? I got news for everybody out there. There's plenty to go around. There's plenty of land. There's plenty of everything to go around. It's a mismanagement of resources. Now, I'm not saying communism or anything like that. I'm just saying, look, we got to have a bare minimum of what's fair. Well, you've got governments telling people, well, you know, water is ours. The water that falls from the sky is ours. The water under the ground is ours. The water everywhere is ours, and you're going to have to pay for the water. Well, water is a necessity of life, and no, you don't own it. No, you don't get to charge people for it. No, you know what? We'll chop your heads off if you try. How about that? And they do this with a lot of stuff. Housing? We've got empty houses by the millions in this country, okay? Empty houses by the millions. I mean, they'll give trillions of dollars to these banker scumbags who live in mansions and fly in private jets when, okay, you want to stimulate the economy? Well, gee, we've got all these construction workers out of work. We've got all this. All right, why don't you build houses for the homeless? Yeah, that's right. Give them a place to live. Oh, 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 that wouldn't be right. Why not? It would stimulate the economy. It would give people jobs. It would give those people working those jobs money in their pockets so they could go to the store and buy other things, which would help them. Then you would give homeless a house to live in. Maybe they'd even go get a job. Gee! But no, instead our thing is, no, we got to stimulate the economy. Let's give the bankers a few trillion dollars because, well, it'll trickle down. And, uh, you know, no, it never did trickle down. What they did was they hoarded the money, gave themselves huge bonuses, paid off their stockholders, and nobody in the economy got anything. That's what they ended up doing. Yep, the nation's largest reservoir has broken a record, declining to the lowest level since it was filled in the 1930s. Wow. Uh, guess what? Winter just ended. Yeah, winter just ended. But the levels in Lake Mead continue to fall. Wow. Political pressures are building for California, Arizona, and Nevada to reach an agreement to share in the cutbacks in order to avert an even more severe shortage. This problem is not going away, and it's likely to get worse. Why does California need water from Lake Mead at all, any of it? They got an ocean, okay? They got like a, what, 2,000-mile coastline? Ah, uh, how about building some desalination plants, huh? How about using that ocean water, huh? What about that? 
Yeah, what about that? How come they're not doing that? How come there aren't any desalination plants, huh? Uh-oh. Well, that wouldn't be right. There'd be something wrong with that. I'm not sure what, but uh, there'd be something. Well, let's see here. I guess we're going to take a break. Uh, and, uh, well, as soon as I find something here. All right. Here we go. We'll have a break, and we'll be back in just a few.
around you. Give me a little harp. Go ahead. You got it. function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. 
You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
Absolutely, won't you? All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is still Friday, May 20th, 2016. It's about 12.47 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's when it is where you're at, we are live. 800-932-1980 is the call-in number. You can also join the crowd in the uh, chat room by going to theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. Let's see, people, uh, what are people talking about in there? Uh, Not too much, little uh, dietary uh, stuff. And there was a comment made about, um, you know, uh, when I mentioned at the end of the first half there that why doesn't California have any desalination plants? Why aren't they you know, desalinating that water and using that. And somebody made the comment, maybe they don't want the radiation, which makes sense if you're going to just be dipping a cup in the ocean and, well, I guess if you did that, you'd die anyway because it's salt water. But the fact of the matter is, see, this is is something that uh, I don't know where I learned it. I might have learned it in a library somewhere. Because I doubt I learned it in science class in school because they didn't teach us a whole lot in science class in school. Well, of course, I, a little more now. But then again, I didn't focus on science. I could have took more science, and I just took the bare minimum requirement to get out of there. Uh, but the fact of the matter is water, pure water, does not carry radiation. I mean, you could you could radiate water as much as you'd like. And the water itself does not become radiated, okay? The radiation passes through the water, but it doesn't radiate anything, okay? Well, it does radiate things. It doesn't radiate water. Now, water has particles in it. Water has minerals in it. Water has, you know, stuff you don't see because it's dissolved in the water, but they're there. Now, that stuff becomes radiated, okay? But desalination is distillation, which means you take water, you turn it to steam, and then you cool it down back into water again. All the particles, whatever solids were in it, whether you see them or not, are removed. Therefore, what comes out is just pure water, which will not be radiated. Now, I don't know what you're going to do with the junk that is left behind if, in fact, it is radiated, because usually this is how we get salt, okay? Then you get a big pile of salt, right? And then what they do is they go through it and they remove all the valuable minerals from it, and they are left with a big pile of sodium chloride, which, of course, they sell to you as food, (laughs) just like fluoride, another poison that they sell to you as food. Well, it must be food if they put it in the water, right? Now, this is what they do with a lot of poisons. Well, I don't know. What are we going to do with this crap? Uh, It's going to cost a lot of money to get rid of it. I know. Let's feed it to Mikey. He'll eat anything. Remember that commercial? Well, that's it. And yes, distillation does remove minerals. But folks, you know what? If you are relying on your water intake 
to supply your body with minerals, uh, you're going to be deficient and in a lot of trouble. Because the thing about, now let's think about this, the minerals in water are all rocks, basically. Okay? This is rock minerals. Rocks. And that's what ends up at the bottom of a, a distiller. These are not what is... This is why hard water is damaging to your body, because there's too many minerals in it, and it ends up clogging up things in your kidneys and your liver. But the thing is, see, distillation takes all that out. People go, well, what about the minerals? Well, these are not usable minerals in the first place. You, I mean, everybody's heard the, the stories and the, the research about, look, these vitamin supplements you take, calcium and magnesium and all these other supplements, you go down to Walmart, buy the cheap dollar bottle of, of so-called minerals, are ground up, crushed up rocks. They're not usable by the body, okay? Your body doesn't do, like, ground up calcium rock. Oh, calcium, that's good for you, right? Well, yeah, you need calcium to a certain degree, but not that kind of calcium because... What that kind of calcium does is put deposits around your joints and makes gives you arthritis and stuff. Okay? Now, calcium from plant-based sources is different. Now, you want to grow a plant and throw rock calcium around the dirt. That plant takes that rock calcium, which it can use because guess what? Plants are designed to grow in the ground where the rocks are at. And they suck up the calcium. They turn it into a usable calcium form within the plant. You know, that whole photosynthesis thing, which I did learn in, I think, seventh grade science class about photosynthesis. And now it's something that you can use. All right? So don't get fooled into thinking that, oh, my gosh, you're taking all the minerals out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yay, because you know what? Those minerals aren't doing you any good, as a matter of fact, and too much, depending on your water, you know, what your water is, you know, the hardness, the pH of your water, it could be damaging to you. Oh, well, I'll get a water softener. Do you know how most water softeners work? Yeah, they put salt in the water. <laughs> oh, uh... I don't know if that's such a great idea. Well, oh, yeah, probably that's why they tell you not to drink that water once you've softened it, okay? You've got to put it through, like, a reverse osmosis or distill it or something. So the idea about water not having minerals in it is is a, is is a, I'd use a fancier word, but I'll just use bogus argument. And a lot of people make it, and they don't know any better, because to them, minerals are minerals. But they're not. That's like saying, well, you know, okay, so we sell organic sulfur. Is that the same as the yellow dirt that, you know, you put out on your on your uh, garden? Absolutely not. However, if you put it in your garden and then you have, like, you're growing garlic or something, the garlic will use that rock, unusable to you, sulfur, and put it in its garlic bulbs. And then you can eat it. Because garlic has organic sulfur in it. High sulfur content. Yeah, it's just, 
It's just simply science, folks. This is not an opinion, all right? You know, when I have an opinion, I tell you, well, this is just my opinion, you know, and I could be wrong or I could be right. Just take it as a grain of salt. But this is not an opinion, okay? This is just science the way it is. And you can argue it and say, well, I don't feel that's right. Well, you might not feel that's right. You know, and the public schools, I'm sure, will defend you. by saying, well, you know, hey, uh, good, there you are. If you don't feel that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. Uh, actually, for as somebody in the see, see, folks, you can participate in the in the, uh, in the chat room. Fluoride is a byproduct of fertilizing manufacturing. I thought, well, actually, fluoride is a byproduct of aluminum manufacturing. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's it's far worse than you thought. Yeah, aluminum is one nasty metal, man. I'm telling you. Anyway, and uh, people mentioned pink salt. And, and, you know, pink salt, in my opinion, is certainly better than table salt. Then again, anything is better than table salt. No salt at all is better than table salt. Table salt is a very, very bad thing. Okay, it's like sprinkling Drano on your food. All right, it's not good. Uh, but pink salt uh, is certainly better than that. But you don't want to take too much. You want to be careful because pink salt is mined. You know, they go chip it out of the walls of a mine, which is not inherently bad. But the fact of the matter is that a lot of the pink salt ends up with mixed with shale. And it's finely, you know, fine shale where, you know, you'll ingest it. And that shale is is like some of these minerals in the water. It's not a good thing for you to ingest, okay? It can clog things up and mess stuff up. And I, I would suspect you'd have to, you know, eat a whole lot of uh, pink salt to uh, have a problem, but you know, a lot of people do, because it's really, it does taste really good, and it's, uh, you know, you might use too much, and the shale content, if you're susceptible to it or, or sensitive to it, could, you know, could cause you a little bit of a problem. Uh, that's the difference between sea salt. And, you know, and the fact of the matter about sea salt is the, the saline in our bodies is exactly the same as sea salt. I mean, sea water, Okay. If you were to take clean seawater and, uh, you know, body fluid saline, it, it, ha- it has all the same components. It's the same stuff, okay? And, you know, this is part of what led the, uh, you know, anti-God, we got to find something other than God people to come up. We crawled out of the sea one day uh, because, you know, we decided, ah, screw this living in the ocean thing. We're going to crawl up on the on the dirt, just like, you know, half the monkeys decided we're going to turn into people, and the other half said, nah, we're going to stay monkeys, right? Uh-huh, sure, theory of evolution, real smart. Doesn't make much sense to me, but hey, then again, you know, this is what the public schools are teaching your kids. And, you know, I, I saw a complaint from somebody who sends their kid to a public, uh, a private school, you know, that they're teaching that evolution garbage there. Well... One thing you've got to understand, and I, look, I, I think sending your kids to a private school is a step up from public school, but it's still, you know, it's not homeschooling, all right? But 
the fact of the matter is you've got to, one question you always need to ask any private school that you're going to deal with is, do you take any federal grants? Any federal grants? If the answer is, well, yes, we do, then your school, this private school that you're talking to, is controlled by the federal regulations on education. The minute you take any money from them, you're under their thumb. So that's a question to ask. And last I, uh, last I read, there were two universities in this whole country that don't take any federal funding. Two. Anyway, we got to go. You all have a great weekend, and uh, hopefully I'll see you Monday. We got a good day coming up. Next is financial survival, so stay tuned. And as always, thanks for listening. Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Friday, May 20th, 2016. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Today, gold, a little pressure on gold down 260 at 1,253. Silver was up four at 1,660. 1660 for silver. Platinum was up seven at 1025. Palladium down one, 561. Let me just write that down. And we have the USDX today is stronger by 0.07 at 9536. Crude oil pressure down 4.1 at 47.67. 47.67 for crude oil. And the paper markets today, they were all happy today. Dow up 63 points at 17,499. The NASDAQ was up 57 at 47.69. And the S&P up 12 at 2,052. 10-year yield 185, Euro 112. European and, and Asian markets were all higher overnight. You know, we're going into next week, I believe we're heading into the Memorial Day weekend, Al. And uh, we have a G7 meeting uh, that's uh, in Japan that's being held on the 26th and the 27th. In addition to the G7 meeting, you also have Janet Yellen. She's she's accepting some sort of a medal, but she will also be in a panel discussion. So all of Wall Street's uh, ears will be on what she has to say on the 27th of May. So. We might see a little pressure on gold and silver next week. I like to think it's going to maintain at least this level, but usually going into a three-day weekend, going into a, a G7 meeting, and particularly going into a uh, some sort of a discussion panel with Janet Yellen, um, you're going to have higher higher paper markets and maybe a little pressure on gold and silver. Why do I say, why do you want to talk about a little bit of pressure on gold and silver? It's great buying opportunities, folks. These are still low levels for gold and silver. Um, but you never know, something could happen and it could certainly uh, reverse it. So I think we'll stay steady at this level or be higher. I don't think we're going to be much lower than what we are, though, today. All right. I've got an article here. Uh, the headline is J.P. Morgan. Gold entering a new and long bull market. Now, this is an interesting article simply because it, this is this is from the uh, the head, uh, the global head of fixed income at J.P. Morgan Chase, and they are advocating. They're saying, "Look, we're, gold is going up, and it's going to go up for a long time." In an interview with CNBC, Salida Marcelli, global head of fixed income at J.P. Morgan Chase revealed that that investment bank is recommending that clients position themselves for a new and very long bull market in gold. She explained that the negative interest rates around the world are making gold a more attractive investment. Since gold is a non-yielding asset and has minimal storage costs, it actually compares quite favorably with the increasing number of negative yield bonds on the global stage. It has a positive carry. Now, I'm going to read another article in a moment from another source that also talks about the rising price of gold and attributes it to negative interest rates. 
And as I'll explain in the second article, I don't doubt that negative interest rates play a role, but I don't think that's the primary driver behind rising demand for gold. It's a part of it, but it's not primary in my opinion. Salidas suggested that central banks might consider diversifying their reserves into gold with the fear that they might be getting negative interest rates on their existing holdings. Gold is a great portfolio hedge in an environment where world government bonds are at historic lows. Um, what else? Near-term support for gold is in the 1,250 uh, to 260 range. Um, let's see. Uh, let me go through this. Uh, Salida believes that there will be more legs to the gold market this year with a high probability of gold reaching 1400 at some point. $1,400, of course, at some point. Earlier this year, Paul Siana of Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, stated the Bank of America went long on gold at $1,089. That would be right after the first of the year, looking for a potential rise as high as $1,550 before the year is out. All of which is simply... You know, generally speaking, I expect those major banks over the, certain, over the past four, four years, thereabouts, to tell us that gold is a bad investment, stay away from it, don't go to gold, blah, blah. When you see the major banks starting to say, recommend gold, it's certainly evidence that not a bad idea. No, but what we've said and what we've been saying for years, they're they're catching up with us. And now this is probably a pretty good idea. Now here's the other one that that rings my bell, and uh, this is foreign central banks jettisoning U.S. debt at alarming pace, buying gold. There's the headline. Continuing a trend that started last year, central banks around the world are dumping U.S. debt at record pace. Central banks sold off a net $17 billion in U.S. Treasury bonds in March. Now, that may be a record pace for a month. I don't know that it is. It's, uh, they may do, that might not be the highest they've had monthly sell-off rate that they've had in, uh, in recent history. But it, in any case, $17 billion doesn't impress me. Right. Again, I look back, we did $80 billion a month in quantitative easing that terminated in 2014. $17 billion a month all by itself, I don't know. I don't find that all that alarming, but the article continues. It says sales set a record in January, hitting $57 billion. Mm. All right, now we're talking some serious money, in my opinion. Um, China, Russia, and Brazil led the way, each dumping at least $1 billion in U.S. debt in March alone. So far in 2016, and I believe they're referring only to the first quarter of the year, Global central banks have jettisoned $123 billion in U.S. banks. In the entire four quarters of last year, they sold off $226 billion. In other words, last year, the average quarterly sales of U.S. bonds was about $30 billion, $30 billion per month. In the first quarter of this year, central banks sold $123 billion, four times as much as they sold during an average quarter in 2015, that's evidence that central banks are, are not just selling U.S. bonds, but they're selling at an accelerating pace. According to the U.S. Treasury Department, sell, uh, central banks uh, uh, are selling U.S. Treasuries at a pace not seen since at least 
1978. Once the biggest supplier of U.S. debt, China is now selling treasuries at what CNN calls an alarming rate. They said between December and February, China's central bank sold off an alarming $236 billion. That's in three months. You're talking $80 billion a month to help support its currency with China, which China is slowly letting become more controlled by markets and less by government, which is interesting. Head of the International Fixed Income at Federated Investors, Ihab Salib, said fear and economic instability is driving the sell-off. There's still this fear that everything's going to fall apart. Um, CNN Money said the sell-off of treasuries may be part of an effort to prompt up their currencies. By selling U.S. banks, central banks can get hard cash to buy their local currency and prevent it from losing much value. You know, that doesn't make much sense to me. <clears throat> I don't know that you can, I don't know that the, the gold is only for sale for dollars. You know? And that's what they imply here. They say, first, we've got to sell off the U.S. debt to get dollars, and then we'll use the dollars to buy up local currency. Why not just sell the gold for local currency? Why not just trade it? Say, look, I got this much gold. How much gold? Let's buy up this local currency. Why Why go through the intermediate step of, of uh, selling bonds to get hard cash? I don't think that's a viable explanation of what's happening right now. Um, and again, they say by, by, by selling U.S. debt Central banks can get hard cash to buy up their local currency and prevent it from losing too much value. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me. It might be true. I may not understand it, but it doesn't make sense to me. But many of these central banks aren't just purchasing local currency. They are also buying gold. Now, the fact that banks are selling U.S. bonds in order to purchase both local currencies and gold implies that the central banks are not selling bonds for the primary purpose of buying local currencies or for the primary purpose of buying gold. It implies, insofar as they're selling, okay, give me, I'll take local currencies, I'll take gold, I don't care. Jim, give me something for, give me, I got to get something for these U.S. bonds. What's that signal? It signals that the, the central bank's primary purpose in selling U.S. bonds is to dump U.S. bonds. They'll take gold. They'll take local currencies. They may take crude oil. I don't know. But the implication is they're dumping U.S. bonds. And this is important. It, it, it implies that, that at least some of the world's central banks are anticipating a significant default in the U.S. government's ability to repay its debts and a significant decline in the perceived value of U.S. bonds. They're dumping them now before the price falls. That's the way this appears to me. I mentioned in the first article or in the previous article we talked about that people are, yes, they, they understand that some people are selling off U.S. bonds. They say, well, we think this is uh, because of the interest rates, negative interest rates. Well, I don't doubt that plays a role. But I think the primary business is get out from under the bonds. According to the World Golf, uh, Gold, Gold Council, Russia, which is in a difficult recession, 
nevertheless increased its gold reserves by 46 tons in the first quarter of the year. That was 52% higher than the same period in 2015. China purchased 35 tons between January and March, um, adding uh, adding to the 103 tons it, it bought through the second half of last year. All this makes sense in a world of perpetually low and even negative interest rates coupled with rampant economic uncertainty and a looming recession. The yield on treasuries and other sovereign debt becomes less and less attractive in a low-rate environment. The yield is what they want to focus on. I say, oh, this is all about, they're make, it's, this is because gold doesn't have a yield. There is, no, there is no interest rate paid on gold. You get into a on bonds, you make some sort of a, um, for example, the bonds are the best example. You can collect interest on bonds. You can't collect interest on gold. Um, and people sit back and they say, well, this is, this is, there's no reason to buy gold. I can't make interest on it. But when you stop to think about it, <clears throat> when you consider bonds, the bond market, and interest rates, if you have a very high-quality bond, what's regarded as a high-quality bond, you might only be getting 1% or 2% interest on it because it has the least amount of risk. Only has one, 2% that they're paying out. Why? Because it's a high quality, low risk bond. As risk increases, so does the interest rate. For example, you can get a junk bond that might pay 20%. It's referred to as a junk bond because the risk is high. There's a good, there's a good chance that the corporation that's issuing this junk bond, they're gonna go broke. So they have to pay a higher interest rate to borrow money. Junk bonds, 20%, in theory. Prime bonds are 1% or 2%, in theory. What's the interest rate on gold? Zero. Does that indicate that gold is undesirable, or does it indicate, indicate that gold is an extraordinarily safe investment? You don't have to pay interest on it because it's super safe. The risk, 20% on junk bonds, 2% on primary bonds, 0% on gold. Why? Because gold is perhaps the safest investment you can get into in this world. So they don't pay, they don't pay interest on it. People sit back and look at this and say, well, that's a reason not to buy gold. And I'm sitting there and thinking to myself, no, that's a reason. The 0% interest rate, if you're looking for safety, if you're looking for security in your investment, that's why gold doesn't pay, doesn't pay an interest rate. It's super secure. That doesn't mean that it doesn't go up and down. You know that as well as I do. But long term, it probably it's probably an unbeatable investment over a period of five years or more. There'll be interest, there'll be interest. There'll be certain stocks that will do better than gold once in a while. They'll come up. But in terms of a generic compare, gold to stocks, gold to bonds, over a period of five years, ten. I doubt that I doubt that the balance, the other investments can come close to gold over an extended period of time. Um, again, I don't I don't I don't doubt that lower negative interest rates plays a role in encouraging people to buy gold, but I don't think low interest rates are the primary motivator. From my perspective, the sell-off of U.S. bonds is not about the bonds' interest rates; it's about the bonds' principle. I think the central banks 
are dumping U.S. bonds because they're anticipating a significant decline in the value of the bonds principle. You got a bond that says a million dollars on it. All right. You can assume that you are going to, if you wanted to sell that bond, you're going to get the best part of a million dollars back. Mm-hmm. But maybe the banks are sitting there and they are thinking to themselves, no, I don't think so. I've got a U.S. bond for a million dollars here, and what am I going to get out of it? I think we're only going to get $900,000. I think the price of the bond is going to fall. I think it might even go to $800,000. I don't know how far it can fall. I want to sell that bond, and I don't care about the negative interest rate. It's a triviality. I don't care about the low interest rate. It's a triviality compared to what may be happening to the principal in the value of those U.S. bonds. We're going to take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it, It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. 
American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adams here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. For all your gold and silver coin needs, what's next, Melody? I just want to remind the listeners we're still carrying the specials uh, this week, the one-tenth ounce uh, American Gold Eagle, 20 Silver Eagles for 555 and uh, one-tenth ounce American Gold Eagle and 90% silver for a little less at $530. Uh, which carries about 20 ounces uh, of silver in that 90% uh, quarters and dimes. So give us a call at 1-800-375-4188. we got a lot of uh, gold eagles, and you know we carry all product lines. We buy, sell, and trade. So give us a call and visit our website at dgscoins.com, dgscoins.com. I just want to talk a little bit about U.S. credit card balances. But first, uh, during the break, Al and I were talking about, uh, I had read uh, five five tech companies, the largest tech companies, own or are holding about a third of the U.S. cash. And we were talking about how that would take a lot of the inflation out of the system you know, you know, people are puzzled, and you know that these corporations are work, working with Washington and Wall Street and the Federal Reserve. And uh, perhaps uh, uh, we were talk, also talking about, uh, you know, once those dollars begin to lose a little more of their val- value, you're going to see these corporations um, beginning to dump a lot of the cash that they're holding. They're not going to want to hold it for any extended period of time, Al. Not once it starts to lose. If inflation fires up, mm-hmm. they're holding those dollars, perhaps because they expect things to remain stable, perhaps because they expect deflation. Or perhaps but if they're inflation working. kicks in, those dollars become worth, worth less every single day in, a, in an era of deflation. So if government circumstances, whatever, causes inflation... The people sitting on that one-third of the currency, they're going to all of a sudden say, let me out of here. I don't want to, lose. I don't want to hang out of this if it's losing value. And they will find things to spend, uh, to spend the currency on. And when they do, that will accelerate whatever inflation is going on at that time. We might have 5% inflation, and they say, oh, my gosh, we've got to dump, we've got to dump these dollars. Well, when they do, the inflation rate might jump to 10%, maybe more. That's an incredible amount of cash being held uh, within five corporations. And personally, I believe they're just working with uh, the Federal Reserve of Wall Street, Washington, in order uh, perhaps to help stem uh, to keep inflation out of the system. Well, maybe. Uh, you know, because we talk about that. Well, we know they're all, 
You know they work with the, you know the the government. You know they work with the Federal Reserve. I mean, I'm, you know. I'm guessing that we're talking about corporations like Apple. Is Correct. That, all right. Yes. Else? Apple, other? Google. I can't remember the list. Um, right. Cisco. Cisco was one. Cisco. And when you Apple. say they're working with the government, if they have that much money in in uh, in their in their bank accounts, maybe the government is working with them. If you catch my drift. Which is who, which one is pulling the plow and which one is uh, pushing the plow? Wow. Which one's riding on the plow? Uh, also, we also know that these corporations have been buying back, not just these five, but all corporations. There's a lot of them that are buying back their own shares in order to keep their prices so stable and to, to rise higher. Once that stops, and a lot of uh, from last year, that is down uh, with these corporations uh, buying their own shares back. And... Um, you're not you you won't see a much higher stock market if they decide to stop buying back their own shares. You know, one of the they, things it that, won't go higher than 18,000. One of the things that crosses my mind is that for much of the last 15 or 20 years China has been holding our debt. They've been taking the US bonds and they're hanging on to them and they came up with something like 1.2 trillion dollars in US debt instruments. Well, China's in the process of selling off their U.S. bonds. But I'm wondering from your description if these five corporations, these tech corporations, if they're not accomplishing something similar. China's dumping the bonds, but the tech corporations are hanging on to dollars. They're taking, they are performing a function that's very similar to what China did when it was just stacking up U.S. treasuries. Do you see what I'm saying, Melody? Yeah, I do. I don't know what the point of it is. The point is that even though China is pers- presumably selling off a lot of bonds right now, it may be that these five corporations are at the same time just sitting on large quantities of cash. And the result is, although China is perhaps stimulating inflation by selling those bonds. I'm not sure if that, that would be a correct interpretation or not, but assuming they're, they're putting more cash into, the, into circulation, they're spending the cash rather than saving it, this is being balanced off by the five corporations. Um, whether this is coincidence or evidence of some sort of intent, it still reveals that a mountain of cash is out there and under the right circumstances, can be released and spent. And it will cause inflation if inflation isn't already happening. And if inflation is happening, it will be spent just to get rid of the, the dollars before, the, uh, before they become worthless or worth less, and uh, thereby contribute to inflation. So right now, deflation is, in some regards... You can attribute it to these five corporations that are holding on to all this cash. I wouldn't. Again, we we just we agree to disagree. I don't see it as deflation. I just see it as a way to hold the inflation rate down, which I don't consider as deflation. But um, same thing. But you know, I'm not China. It's deflation, uh, but it's no, poor, it isn't the same. No, I don't think it's the same thing. But you know, China does have a little bit of leverage, and I don't know how much the amount that they control in bonds. Uh, when the U.S. does something that they don't agree with, how can they, you know the, the idea was they would always use their bonds as a way to the treasuries to the way to uh, um, negotiate 
um, uh, and uses leverage against the U.S. And um, so an interesting interesting web has been spun. Yeah, and it's, it's something. The web has trapped both the little insects that are flying through the air. They're caught in the web, but so is the spider that spun the web. Everybody's caught in the web. And, and everybody's hoping that the web doesn't break and fall to the ground where the ants can consume the, uh, the you know, the, everybody who's caught in the web. But uh, And if you were caught in the web once and you escaped it, chances are many go back because you they think you're they invulnerable. Think you're invulnerable. I have the web. <laughs> that means I'm invulnerable and I can fly into it again and I won't be mm-hmm. But U.S. credit card balances are on track to hit $1 trillion this year. Banks are aggressively pushing their plastic, and uh, consumers are are becoming more comfortable carrying debt. Uh, the sum uh, is almost at the all-time peak of the $1.02 trillion that was set back in July of 2008. Huh? So, you know, you can say so, that what, people what? think that there's an improving job market, which is questionable. Um, but they hear a lot of uh, um, discussion, their confidence. Again, this is why confidence is strong. They, they believe what comes out of Washington, which surprises me. They believe the numbers that come out of Washington, but yet they don't. We have the election that we're having uh, this year. But uh, credit cards are one of the few business lines working for banks right now. Um, so, you know, they've been pushing them. Uh, let's see what else was interesting in this article. Um, that's pretty much, uh, you're just seeing automobiles, the lending. And a lot of this, these credit cards are going to subprime lenders. Oh. And it is much the same much as the same. in 2000, prior to 2007, 2008, they were using subprime mortgages going to, going to borrowers. All right. And they did it with mortgages, blew up in everybody's face. The the more of the collapse in the mortgage industry very nearly is is attributed with triggering the Great Recession and they and, and very nearly a global depression. But now we're so much smarter, Melody. We're not doing subprime on houses because we learned our lesson <laughs> on that. So we're going to do subprime on cars instead. You see? Cars, credit cards. Cards. What do they say? Those who those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about we are achieving a level of debt in credit cards comparable to what was seen prior to 2008, mm-hmm. which was the onset of the Great Recession again. Um, you know, this may be a coincidence or it may be another one of those things. Don't learn from history. You're going to repeat it. You know, it's like flunking. You know, back when I was in Back when I was a kid in school, they used to flunk you if you didn't if you didn't learn all your lessons, and you would have to repeat the first grade or the second grade or whatever grade you. And the kids would make fun of you if you flunked. I don't even know if they flunk people anymore. They pass you if you can't read, write, see. Uh, as long as you got, as long as you have a pulse, I think they'll pass you. Um, this is the same thing with history and economics. You flunk. You still flunk. You can't get over it. They can't do anything about it where they maintain your self-esteem, even if you're an idiot. If you're going to do the same things 
and see the same things we saw back prior to 2008, and we get another great recession, shall we sit back and say you're a victim, or shall we sit back and say you be dumb? And the answer is, if you're, if you're not catching up on this thing, if, if you're not following events or to the extent, and they're hard to follow. They're hard to understand because they're so complex to hear everything from so many sides, but just the same. You see these leaves in the breeze, and you make a decision on your own. Your eyes, your ears, what do you see? What do you hear? What do you think? You know, your future will depend on your decisions. And uh, if you're not paying attention to these apparent coincidences, then perhaps you are doomed to flunk and repeat history. What else, Melody? Well, I guess there was uh, some excitement near the White House today. There's a suspect down in critical condition. They um, shot an armed suspect near the White House. Good. So a little excitement there. Um, you know, you got to be nuts. You really do. I mean, of course you have to be <laughs> nuts. But, um, come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to get my slingshot, and I'm going to go see if I can shoot President Obama with a slingshot. Are you crazy? You can't get to Obama with an AK-47. There's a lot of crazy people out there, Al. I guess there are. I guess there are. But, I mean, some of this stuff is really just lunacy. You know, they don't need to shoot these people. They just need to catch them in a net and send them off to camp for a tune-up. I don't know what they need to do with them. uh, Lithium, little Prozac, straighten them right out. Temporarily, anyway. (laughs) But what's next, Al? Got an article from Ms. Shedlock. Chicago pension liabilities jump 168%, understated by by $11.5 billion. New accounting rules show Chicago, as everyone probably knows, Chicago is in massive debt. They can't pay their pensions, and there have been... There's been litigation and attempts to negotiate, and it's all blowing up in their face, of course. And it says, new accounting rules show Chicago has understated its pension liabilities by $11.5 billion. At the end of 2015, the stated total liability... Now, at the end of 2015, that's like, what, five months ago? Um, the total stated liability was $7.1 billion. Today, it's $18.6 billion. That's a jump in net liabilities of 168% in five months. Mayor Rahm Emanuel has hopes <laughs> pinned on union concessions. Spending he can talk the unions into giving up some of what they think they're entitled to. And number two, he's expecting help from state legislatures, from the state legislature. And Ms. Shedlock says neither is likely. There's an article from Bloomberg that deals with the same issue. They're saying thanks to the defeat of the city's retirement fund overhaul uh, plan by the Illinois Supreme Court and new accounting rules, Chicago's so-called net pension liability to its municipal employees annuity and benefit fund soared to $18.6 billion. There are 70,000 workers and retirees represented by that pension fund. Some of them are workers. I don't know what the breakdown is between the workers and the retirees. There's 70,000 total. Workers are presumably still working. Retirees have already retired. Um, 70,000 of them, they have allegedly, let's see, 
They have an unfunded liability of $20 billion, according to this, according to this article. Divide the $20 billion by 70,000 workers and retirees, and they are, the, they are on average, they are short $286,000 for each member of that pension fund. Uh, the key driver was a court ruler striking, ruling striking down Mary Rahm Emanuel's plan to cut benefits and boosted city and and uh, and boosted city and employee contributions without it taking place now the fund is now set to run out of money within 10 years now within 10 years doesn't necessarily mean the 10 2017 or 2016 the fund is going to go dry it says within 10 years which could happen anytime before we get to 10 years that the pension fund could go dry what they mean, and when it is exhausted, that means there is no money. It doesn't mean that we cut pensions by 10% or 20% or whatever. It means we cut them by 100%, 10 years maximum from now. That's the implication, and it could happen in as little as three years, maybe five years. And the point to all of this is Chicago is in deep, deep doo-doo when it comes to pension funds, and there can't be a happy ending on this. I'm Alfred Addis. We're going to take a break for some commercials. Melody and I will be right back on Financial Survival. Please stay tuned. Aspirin mistake. Aspirin was discovered by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the www.thepowerherbs.com. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
folks. I'm Alfred Adisk here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival. What's next, Melody? Well, I just wanted to share with the listeners, it's a little off uh, topic uh, on finances, but uh, Oklahoma, congratulations, Oklahoma. There's a bill uh, making it a felony to perform abortions. And uh, right now it's on the uh, governor's desk uh, for signature. And um, this legislation passed in the Oklahoma House and Senate um, yesterday that would make it illegal for doctors to perform abortions that were not necessary to save the life of the mother. So well, it's um, and, and what surprises me is the, the 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 sweeping measure. I don't know if I have the numbers here, but I mean uh, it passed in the House of Representatives with a vote of 59 to 9 last month, and yesterday it passed in the Senate. Uh, 33 to 12. So, idea whose time has come. Congratulations, Oklahoma, and make sure your governor uh, signs it. It's also evidence that's of something else that's happening in this country, and the states themselves are beginning to stand up and assert themselves in some instances against Washington, D.C. They say, We don't want you down here. <laughs> Leave us alone. We can handle things on our own. Well, Obama has used his authority to say either you do what I want you to do or I'm going to pull funding, just like yep. with the transgender bathrooms. Yep. You either do what I tell you to do or we'll pull funding. Oh, the states are finally going to say, well, you know. Yeah, they, and, and what, so, what should be is just respond back to Mr. Obama and explain to him, well, you go ahead and pull funding and we will stop paying income taxes. Mm-hmm. All right, come on down. Let's see if you can arrest the whole state. We'll tie you up in court for the next century. This is a two-way street. You need our money more than we need yours. Mess with us, we'll stop paying income taxes. That's all. Then we'll see where it goes. How do you like that? (laughs) Congratulations to Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. There's one other point about this. You know, why haven't we had, why hasn't abortion been stopped at the federal level? The Republican Party has been... Oh, condemning abortion for 40 years, perhaps. And yet, even when the Republican Party was at maximum strength, perhaps under the George W. Bush administration, there was no serious effort to end abortion. Why do you think that is, Melody? Uh, no, I was... Tell me, Al. I think it's because the Republican Party, after the New Deal, and the Democrats grabbed control of the federal government in particular, and to greater to a large extent the state governments, the Republican Party became essentially uh, a second-tier party. They became a wannabe party. They really they were there, but they didn't actually have much much power. Right? The Democrats were holding all all the power, and then the Democrats came across the Roe v. Wade, and they legalized abortion, and that laid the foundation for the the silent majority. It laid the foundation for evangelicals who supported the Republican Party because the Republican Party said, we're going to end abortion. But they never did, even when they had opportunity to do so. And I believe the reason is that the Republican Party sat back and said, to heck with those little kids. We don't care about them. The foundation for the Republican Party's power has been the abortion issue. This is what really changed them from a second-tier party into a number one party, at least for a while. 
It was the abortion issue that brought the religious right to support the uh, the Republican Party. The 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 anti-abortionists came to support the the Republican Party. The evangelicals it it laid the foundation. And I think the Republican Party sat back and said, "Look, if we end abortion, we're going to lose all that support." Now I don't know that to be true, but that is my theory du jour, right? And that's why I think we never the Democrats they want abortion. And the Republicans wanted the support they would, could get from the anti-abortion activists and from anti-abortion sentiment. And so in that result, we continued to murder unborn children. So politics makes for strange and even psychopathic bedfellows. What else? What's next, Melody? Um, How about the dreaded cross of death? Oh, jeez. Uh-huh. Okay. I got an article here, and the headline is, I changed the headline a little bit, but it's it's the same words. The dreaded cross of death formation has just hit the markets. The cross of death, the cross of death, Melody. Standard um, Fours has just staged a very dangerous-looking move. The S&P 500's 50-week moving average broke below its 100-week moving average. All right? Now, this is, this is news. Uh, um, this move is called a death cross, and for good reason. Last time it happened was in 2008, right before the entire market crashed. Once again, in 2008, we saw the uh, 50-day moving average move below the 100-day moving average. Next thing you know, we had a crash. Now, whether this is a cause or a coincidence remains to be seen, but if you believe in charts... This is an important event. The whole mess feels today, the whole mess feels just like that end of 2007 or beginning of 2008. Time to prepare for this bubble to burst is now. Imagine if you'd been prepared for the 2008 crash back in late 2007. It's a good point. If you really had good evidence to all but guarantee that the price of stocks was going to fall dramatically over the course of in the, in the near future, then it would be a good time to go short on stocks. Uh-huh. And you could make it, you might be able to make a killing off the deal. But what do you think about the cross of death, Melody? Well, I mean, it's charts and, uh, you know, in these markets that are so rigged, it's, you know, it's interesting, you know, it's a comparison and so forth. But uh, again, I, I don't hold much stock, not in today's world. When, um, no. But uh, it's interesting. Yeah. But I also wanted to, well, not to change the topic here, I came across an advertisement online for a bag of 90% silver Franklin halves. And here's a perfect example. And again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's a perfect example on what you see online and you never have anybody to talk to. They're selling it for over $14,000. Why spend $14,000 on 50-cent pieces when you could save $1,000 and buy quarters or dimes? Mm-hmm. You know, so you get more value for your money with quarters and dimes at this point and, uh, you know, buy more silver. And that's how folks should be buying their gold and silver. These are the things that you have to think about. And I received another, I mentioned this earlier in the week, a, a promotion from somebody. And it's like, if, if you buy this, we're going to send you a coin that's going to go up 6,200%. 
it's like, why would he be sending you some coin that's going to go up? Yeah, that's a fact. If I, if I was going to, ha- if I had a coin that I know is going to go up sixty-two, do you think I'd give it away for free? Yeah. Of course not. Neither would anyone listening to this program. So, you know, I just, just nevertheless got the P.T. Barnum Annual Award for one being born every every minute. I think today it's more like one every fraction of a second, but it's the same idea. Perhaps still the annual P.T. Barnum Award, and that's and the people that are selling that product that give you a coin that'll go up 6,200% or whatever they said, they are, they are competitors. They're contenders for this year's annual P.T. Barnum Award. You know, earlier in the week, Al, you and I were talking about tariffs, and uh, the U.S. Uh, increased the tariffs on steel by 500%. Chinese steel. Chinese steel, mm-hmm. and um, increased it by 500%. And there's been a lot of discussion uh, with Donald Trump um, imposing tariffs. Yep. Got an article from CNN Money. It says Trump's tariffs will cost Americans thousands, report says. Donald Trump's tough talk of imposing tariffs on China, Japan, and Mexico gets big cheers at his rallies. What his supporters may not realize, however, is how much those tariffs will cost them. Trump has repeatedly said that America has been on the losing end of trade deals for years. In his view, tariffs would level the playing field by making imports more expensive. That, in turn, would prompt American companies to produce more domestically and would bring back jobs. I don't think there's any doubt that rising tariffs would bring back jobs. If we cut out... the products from China are no longer as cheap as they've been in the past. Guess what? We'll buy American. And when we buy American, we're going to put a bunch of people back to work. And, yes, you will pay more when the tariffs are imposed. Prices of products will increase. But your neighbor is going to get a job. And you're not going to have to support him on welfare. You understand? And is there going to be a cost? Yes, there will. But is there a benefit? Yes, there is. The article continues, says, experts, however, say boosting tariffs would be a bad deal for Americans, particularly the poor. I don't know where they get these experts. You understand that? It's not a bad deal. It's one of these things that's like squeezing the balloon. You squeeze it at one place, it bulges somewhere else. Uh, There's no question about it. But we're being squeezed, the whole nation is being squeezed by global free trade. And low tariffs. It's caused American laborers and factories and manufacturers to compete head-on with cheap labor in third-world countries. And it was a competition we couldn't win and had to bring our standard of living down. In my opinion, if we had simply stayed out of global free trade, kept our trade barriers high, our standard of living would not have been stagnant or falling for the last 30, 40 years. We need the tariff barriers. We can sell to each other. What's the difference between me starting a business where I supposedly under global free trade, I'll be able to compete by selling to China? Or I can go to China and build my factory and sell my product from China with cheap labor back into the United States and make a a higher profit. What's the difference between that and just putting up high tariff barriers around the United States and instead of selling my products manufactured in Texas, selling them to China, or Europe, or South America, or whatever, 
What if I just sold them to South Dakota or Maine or New and Nebraska, New York, California? This is the biggest single, well, you could say the Eurozone is the single biggest market in the world. This is the second biggest, and, it's the, and it is the single most coherent market in the world. Why not just sell American? Why not buy American? Yeah, the prices would go up, but, but the unemployment would go down. And some experts say this would be a bad deal for American. I don't think these are, are experts. I think these are people who are advocating global free trade. It's not about what's right. It's not about what's best for the American people. It's about they have a political position, in my opinion, or my suspicion, and they're saying, oh, no, this would be a terrible deal for Americans, particularly the poor. <clears throat> well, it may be a bad deal for the poor. I agree with that. Prices would go up. It would be difficult for the poor. But on the other hand, the number of jobs would also increase, and a lot of the poor would have jobs. Some of the poor are going to pay a price. Some of the poor are going to benefit. Some of the poor would, would suffer from this. A lot of the poor would not. Tariffs would cost the average household $2,200 a year or 4% of their after-tax income. This according to a new study from nonprofit National Foundation for American Policy, conducted by David Turek, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is largely because imports under Trump's policy would become more expensive, raising the price of competing American made goods also by about 11%. I don't doubt that's true. But while government tells us that we have about 4.8-4.9% unemployment in this country, John Williams at ShadowStats.com says the real unemployment figure is something like 23%. How are we going to deal with that unemployment figure with 23% unemployment while we still have global free trade and no tariffs to protect us from Chinese labor and Indian labor, Mexican labor, whatever, third world labor that is working for a fraction of the price of American laborers. I don't see how we're going to get around, get a, I don't see how we're going to reduce our real unemployment numbers unless we raise tariffs and we stop having to compete directly with third world labor, because the only thing that can come of it is that the price of American labor has to fall and fall and fall until we are close to matching that of third world labor. And then there will be some say, kind of global harmony, I'll give you that, but there will also be a global standard of living comparable to who knows what you see where. Uh, Honduras? India, South Africa, will all be the same, right? But what is my incentive in making the whole world the same? Why am I obligated to save the world? I'm quite content to save the people of the United States of America insofar as anyone can do that. That's all my only focus, and it's the only focus our government should have, because we elected them. We didn't say, hey, we're going to send you to Congress, the Senate, or the White House to do what's right for the people of other continents and countries. You're supposed to look out for number one. They haven't been doing it. Something's got to be done. And maybe we're going to see that happen, and new tariffs could be a big step in that direction. We're out of time. I want to thank all of you for listening. I'm Alfred Addis, here with Melody Cedarstrom. We'll be back on Monday. Have a good weekend, ladies and gentlemen. And in the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye-bye.
ID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR 2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR 2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one of 49 99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click the satellite system. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers 
Tigers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky. Fearless men who jump and die. Men who mean just what they say. The brave men of the Green Beret. Silver wings upon their chest. These are men. America's best 100 men will test today but only three when the green beret well everybody it's uh, Friday break day and um, tonight starts the Sabbath and ends Saturday night now a lot of you uh, may say Bo, how can you get it so wrong? Uh, Sunday's the Sabbath, but it isn't. And if you don't want to take my word for it, then uh, Billy Graham is, uh, I think, back being stable in uh, the hospital. You can, uh, you know, send Billy Graham an email or uh, talk to the Pope. Send the Vatican an email and ask them, uh, is Sunday the Sabbath? The Pope represents uh, hundreds of millions of Catholics, and uh, Billy Graham represents a great slice of, uh, of Christians. And so they should know, or they do know, and uh, they'll tell you, no, uh, Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath is always been recognized from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. God's time is lunar, not solar. But uh, we recognize on Sunday the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's why as Christians uh, we celebrate on Sunday. And uh, the church under Constantine back in uh, 325, uh, took away the Sabbath because they didn't want anything Jewish. The Jews, no matter what you may or may not think of them, plus or minus, uh, have kept the oracles of God as a basic religion. Now, there are Orthodox Jews uh, that uh, have different outlooks than uh, Reformed Jews, etc., and at all. I'm talking basically about uh, the, you don't have to be a Hasidic Jew, but an Orthodox Jew has kept the feast days. They honor the Sabbath. Uh, they understand uh, what God 
uh, has instructed for uh, all people to do. And if you're wondering, well, what do you mean all people? I thought it was only Jews uh, that were the chosen ones. Well, if you think the Jews are the chosen ones, then there is a case to be made that, uh, well, where are the Jews? The ten northern tribes were completely decimated uh, back there 1,500 years uh, before Christ when the uh, ten tribes under Jeroboam were conquered, splintered, carried off, wiped out because Jeroboam, if you'll check, he was uh, there in the Solomon Solomon's son was a young fellow named Nehoboam, and neither Jeroboam or Nehoboam, Nehoboam was Solomon's son. Solomon followed David as the second king of Israel. And uh, it was just, all of a sudden, now for 2,500 years, there haven't been anybody but Jews. There was this tribe of Judah under Nehoboam, uh, which uh, continued on when the ten northern tribes were seized, enslaved, scattered, killed, and uh, decimated, they were wiped out because they didn't follow God's law. So that leaves this nickname. The tribe of Judah uh, took on the nickname of Jew, the time of Christ, uh, that's all that there was. And uh, so in uh, 70 A.D., Rome came through, wiped out the Jews, tore down the second temple. All we have left is what the Muslims claim is the third most uh, holy site the Dome of the Rock, and all the rest of that rubble is what was the second temple. Now, the Ark of the Covenant has not been in the Holy of Holies in any of the temples since the first temple was raided. The high priest saw the Ark of the Covenant was uh, under uh, threat. And so they hid it. When people came in and tore down the first temple, there was no one. And so uh, the temple is rebuilt. And uh, the temple was standing in the time of Christ, but the Romans in 70 A.D. took it, not one stone left upon another. There was no Ark of the Covenant. So today, being Friday, we reserve for uh, some uh, spiritual nourishment and some contentious things. For example, there is a preacher who has, uh, if not world attention, at least attention uh, of uh, America because he has signs all over the place that say that Judgment Day is tomorrow. Yeah. 
Now, this guy is called Harold Camping. That's his uh, name. He's a pastor. In 1994, he said it was the end of the world. And uh, some people listened to him then and got all squared away in white sheets, standing up on mountains in, uh, in Arizona. And they were just left standing because the world didn't come to an end. In 1994, it says in the Bible that no man knoweth the hour, not even Jesus the Christ, not even the angels. Only the Father knows the hour, but we are given to know the season. And Christ tells us, you will know when the time is because The season is obvious when the trees are green, summer is nigh, which means to me when all the prophecies have been fulfilled, when all the feast days have been fulfilled, then comes the end. And uh, there are so many things in the Bible that Harold Camping uh, is missing. One is there's a thousand years of peace under the Messiah, the millennial age. So uh, it could start tomorrow, but Harold Camping is talking about a rapture and the judgment day. That kind of flies uh, in the face of what the Bible says, because the Bible says when Christ comes to claim this earth, there'll be a great trump. There's going to be a great battle, Armageddon, and uh, Satan is going to lose, and Satan and all of his minions, remember that one-third of the hosts of heaven chose to follow Satan when there was war in heaven. They lost. Satan and his uh, one-third of the, the sons of heaven they were sent down to be uh, occupiers, disembodied occupiers of the earth, except Satan can appear as an angel of light. And we hear about Satan in the chapters of Job, and we won't go into all that. Anyway, there's a lot of things that have to happen. There has to be an antichrist. There has to be a time when you cannot buy or sell unless you have the mark of the beast, either in your right hand or in your forehead, and we haven't arrived there yet. So uh, while Harold Camping may get a a few uh, people's heartbeat uh, increase, this is not the time. And is not even uh, the... uh, period of the feast days, it will be the Feast of Trumpets, I believe. Now, this is the Gospel according to Bowl. The next feast that we have is coming up on June the 8th. June the 8th will be Pentecost. That is when the Holy Spirit came. And so we recognize that that was one of the three main feast days where you had to go to the temple. Well, there isn't a temple to go to now. So what we do is recognize it 
in our homes the best we can. And uh, I'll tell you all about it as we start to draw near. But June the 8th is the Feast of Weeks, as we call it, Shavuot, as it is known, or Pentecost. And then uh, the uh, next feast day is when Christ will come to claim the earth. That is September this year. It's September the 29th. That is the Feast of Trumpets, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, September 29th. Then just 10 days later is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the, uh, the Feast uh, of, uh, of Forgiveness, if you will. Uh, we who are Christians uh, don't need this feast day. But I think that Yom Kippur uh, is actually for those people who have uh, disenfranchised Christ because of their religion, because of false teachings. Uh, They do not believe that the Messiah has come and been crucified and gone and will come again. And so Yom Kippur uh, is, they have kept the oracles of God. They have done what God has said on the feast days. They have followed God's Ten Commandments. And all of a sudden, when Christ comes at Rosh Hashanah, and the great trumpet sounded, and the millennial age starts, and they say, holy cow, uh, we've been wrong. Rosh Hashanah, September 23rd this year. October uh, is Yom Kippur. And it's a time of atonement. Christians have already, Christ has atoned for our sins. But I think it's honestly the opportunity for those Jews who have God in their heart, but because of false teachings, have refused the Christ. And then just... Five days after uh, Yom Kippur, which is only a one-day feast, we have September the 27th, which is uh, Sukkot. It's also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. It is when God says he promises he will come and dwell with us. And so the seven feast days are... Passover and the Feast of First Fruits, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of, uh, of, of the Holy Spirit coming, then uh, the Feast of Rosh Hashanah, Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement. And finally, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let me give you the days this year, because it's lunar, so it changes, you know, because the moon has a slightly different cycle than the sun. Anyway, uh, today we've already gone through Passover. That was April 19th. The next feast day that we go through is June the 8th. 
and that is Pentecost. And then September 29th is the Feast of Trumpets, when Christ comes to claim the earth. And Yom Kippur, which is the Feast of Atonement, on October the 8th. And October the 13th is the Feast of Passover. Now, you can go to the next to the last book, uh, Zechariah, in the Bible. You go to the last chapter of uh, Zechariah, and you go to the last sentence. <laughs> and it says that uh, we are still going up to the mountain to worship the Feast of Tabernacles. Friends, uh, these feasts, uh, when Christ, a lot of people say, well, Christ uh, fulfilled all the feasts. It means that uh, he did it away with the law. Christ himself said, my coming is to fulfill the law, but not change the law, not one jot or one tittle. And so it was meant to continue. And I think that's what the idea of the Feast of Atonement is. Now, this fellow, Harold Camping, has got quite a following, and they think that the world ends tomorrow, and that tomorrow there will be a rapture. And you want to watch out if you believe Harold Camping, because in the rapture, you'll be driving along, and all of a sudden, you get sucked up to someplace. Uh, you may be sitting on the throne, whoop, you're gone, if you are of Christ. And uh, unlike what the Bible says, uh, this group will go off with Christ somewhere. The Mormons believe that heaven is at Kolob, K-O-L-O-B, a faraway star. And uh, so maybe they go there if uh, Harold Camping is right. But Harold Camping has been wrong, like in 1994. And the only reason that I tell you this is because uh, of humor, because the Bible says that we're going to have people like Harold Camping who give false prophecy, not based on the Bible. So Harold Camping doesn't, uh, in, in figuring out that tomorrow is the end of the world, and a lot of uh, organizations, civilizations, people, Mayans, for example, they think 2012 is the end of the earth, and it could be. Uh, we could have all of the, I mean, everything is lined up. There's all kinds of, of uh, phenomenon going on that could complete the prophecies. But I can tell you, God is not a liar, and so these prophecies will be fulfilled. And it could be 2012. There's still quite a bit of time left in 2012, but there's not a lot of time for these prophecies to be fulfilled by tomorrow. So Harold Camping is just another one of these people. And here's, listen, in the old days, People honored prophets, but when the prophet said something and it didn't happen that way, they stoned them to death. 
So, Harold, if you are willing to be stoned to death, and maybe we don't have to, to be that way, let's just say, Harold, if the end of the world isn't tomorrow, then go away. Go back in your hole, close up the center, be like a gopher or something. But stop telling people and exciting people uh, that at the end of the world and God is coming and judgment day uh, happens. Because according to the Bible, <clears throat> the sequence of events, and according to the feast days, the Holy Spirit came back during the time of the apostles. Remember Christ, when he was resurrected, he stayed with his apostles for 40 days. Then he told them, he said, I must go that the Holy Spirit can come. He said, you stay here for Pentecost. The Holy Spirit will come. Well, 10 days later, they stayed like they were supposed to, to be there for Pentecost. That's a required uh, feast day at the temple. Here comes the wind, and here comes the tongues of flame. 3,000 people were baptized that were visiting the temple for that feast day. I mean, that is a phenomenon. So the next feast day is when Christ comes. Well, and what happens is it's called the first resurrection. All of those who have died in Christ from the time of Adam will come forward with Christ and they come to earth. People aren't beamed up. That rapture uh, business took place in the 1700s over in Scotland. A woman made this thing up. It was very, a very good tale to get money into the church coffers. People wanted to hear how they were going to go flying and that Christ was going to beam them up sometime before he actually came, like it says in the Bible. Anyway, the truth is that Christ will come, and with him will come all of the righteous dead, those who are his. All of the unrighteous dead, those who have died and have not received the salvation from Christ, will remain dead. And then for we on earth who remain, we're still here, we haven't died yet, we will be changed, it says, in the twinkling of an eye. We will lose our earthly bodies, which uh, decay, grow old, uh, they from uh, the dust to the dust, remember? But in our celestial body, we look the best we have ever looked. We don't have any problems uh, with digestion or uh, with cancer or Alzheimer's. This is our celestial body, good for eternity. And Christ will rule and reign 
the millennial empire for a thousand years. Then what happens is just before the end of the millennial reign, Satan is loosed to tempt those who he may. In other words, the last chance for evil to steal uh, the legacy of God's own. And then what happens on Judgment Day, like uh, Harold Camping is saying that Judgment Day is tomorrow, the rapture tomorrow, people are going to fly away, and the people left are going to be judged. And none of it's so. None of it is biblically sound. In the judgment, we have those, everybody who has lived. That is called the second resurrection. All those who weren't resurrected and came forward when Christ came to claim the earth, they will all, the sea will give up its dead. Everybody now is resurrected. The righteous will only be judged for their glory. Because, remember, I've given you five citations directly out of the Bible that if you accept Christ, then God will not only forgive your sins, but they will be remembered no more. Quote, and so if God does not remember your sins, he would be a liar if you were judged for them at the last day. Uh, it was always been confusing to me why people uh, scream and holler and claw at themselves. If they have accepted Christ, uh, your judgment's going to be a wonderful time. If you haven't, then uh, you, the sins of the world will be brought before you, and you'll be punished. All right, let's uh, take a little break. We'll come right back. I got a ton of news for you, so we'll have to jump right into it. You're listening to Freedom. It's over American Voice Radio, so stay right where you are, loving all says about distilled water. If you decide on bottled water, make sure it's distilled. However, in the long run, you'll save money if you clean your water at home. It's more convenient than hauling gallon jugs from the store. The gold standard for purifying your water is a system that distills your water and filters it. You have the comfort of knowing there is no chlorine, fluoride, bacteria, viruses, pesticides, or lead. You get nothing but H2O, maximum health. Dr. Robert D. Willis Jr., M.D. Order your tabletop water distiller for $139.99 postpaid. It comes with everything you need to get pure distilled water. Go to superstore.theamericanvoice.com. That's superstore.theamericanvoice.com. Order now. 
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be dependent on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800 581 8906. Order today. before the break about uh, this preacher, Harold Camping, who has predicted the end of the world in 1994. Somehow or other, it didn't turn out. So now he predicts the end of the world is tomorrow. And uh, would you believe it? But the networks are uh, 
putting this out as prime news. So what I thought I would do is relieve you a little bit. If tomorrow, because camping, there's a lot of things that happen when the Feast of Trumpet comes along and Christ comes to claim the earth. There's a thousand years where the lion lays down with the lamb, remember that? And the, the asp, the serpent, and the child, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an era, a thousand years of peace. And then Satan is loosed a little. Then there will be. Then the Feast of Tabernacles is fulfilled, and we do have the last great day which is the judgment day. But we've gone through a thousand years of millennial age. Those of us who are of Christ will be with Christ on this earth, not hanging out somewhere uh, in space. And uh, I don't know because in the first resurrection, uh, Christ comes with all of those who have died that are his uh, from the time of Adam. Uh, That means that And see, when Christ died the first time, and he he won't die again, he came back from the grave while he was three days and three nights. You know, people ask him, uh, you know, what have you, what did you do? Well, one of the things that he did was he went and preached uh, to those in Sheol. Now, When you look at a great hero like King David, I mean, wasn't he a hero? As a boy, he goes out and saves Israel by nailing uh, the great giant of the Philistines. He's the great man. But he sees Bathsheba, who is the Hittite's uh, wife, and he sets it up so this captain... He is killed being in the forefront of an attack where you could count on in those days, sort of like Vietnam, hand to gland, and you could figure you're on the point, you know, you're going you're gonna to die. And he did. And so David is able to take Bathsheba, but, of course, they realize and a lot of David's psalms are in his prayer for forgiveness. I believe that God, this is gospel according that God uh, forgave David. But David, he doesn't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Well, Enoch went to heaven. It is way back in Genesis where uh, God sees Enoch is pleasing to him, and so Enoch is seen no more nor his people. So they all, God takes them. They don't go to Sheol. They go to heaven. And then Ezekiel. Uh, Here is uh, uh, a guy who uh, Isaiah was the protege. Isaiah uh, didn't go, but he comes, God comes and picks up this great prophet in a golden chariot, and off he goes. And Moses, you can read about it in Jude. God tells Michael, go get me the body of Moses. 
Well, this is when Moses dies, you know, when Joshua takes over and leads Israel into the promised land. Well, what happens to Moses? Uh, Satan is taking Moses to put him in Sheol because Moses has sinned and you cannot be in the company of God uh, and not and be soil with sin. It just doesn't doesn't go. It's like gasoline and fire. But God loves Moses and instructs uh, Michael go and get the body of Moses. So you read in Jude, A U D E. It's such a short little book in the Bible. It doesn't even have chapters. So Michael challenges Satan, and Satan says, no, I'm not giving him up. Because that's Satan's job, is to carry these people uh, when they die and put them in Sheol, lock them up until Christ atones for their sins and they are freed. And that's where paradise comes into. Remember, Christ said to the uh, thief next to him on the cross, he said when the thief asked him uh, to allow him in his kingdom, uh, and when he came into his kingdom and Christ said, I say to you, before this day is over, you will be with me in paradise. Well, uh, before, you know, like with Constantine and the first... uh, churches uh, where Constantine a pope, appointed a pope in Rome, and Constantine appointed a uh, high priest, uh, Orthodox Christian in uh, Constantinople. Now, uh, what did they teach? They taught there was purgatory. That's where you have to wait until you your sins uh, can be atoned for. Well, right now, today, the church has changed that because they realize that Christ's sacrifice was the atonement. People were saved. So there isn't a reason because the old church charged a lot of money for you to get dispensations. That's why Luther started his Lutheran church because he said it was wrong that the uh, Pope and the cardinals, the archbishops and the bishops and the monsignors, they all got paid money uh, for people that would save and then try to buy their loved ones out of purgatory with uh, you know these high-up people in the church uh, praying. Well, uh, Luther knew that wasn't true. Christ freed. Christ has the keys to Sheol. And so when he was in the grave, his uh, spirit, he went to, and can you imagine the, the, the huzzah is what Israel used to scream as victory when they see Christ coming and they are freed, all these great, wonderful heroes. Oh, wow. Samson. Now, Samson did a lot of things wrong, but you suppose that he was one of those that was freed by Christ? I think so. And Gideon, and all those great, wonderful heroes. 
And so uh, now we have, we go to paradise because we've accepted. Now, if we haven't accepted Christ, then we don't go to paradise, but we wait, and that is what this whole Feast of Atonement is about, 10 days after Christ has come to claim this earth. And the reason we're talking about this is because this guy, Harold Camping, says the end of the world and the judgment is tomorrow. Now, please listen to me, because this is you know so important to so many of you. I know it is. I watched my wife, a beautiful person. We were coming down. We have we come over the pass uh, to the east of Sandy Valley, and you can see the little valley below. But it's still like almost ten miles. Now you can coast all the way. And as we were coming down this nice long straightaway, where you can just uh, put her in neutral. Uh, I noticed that uh, my bride was weeping. Tears were running out of her eyes. She wasn't saying anything. And I asked her, what's the matter? Uh, Why are you so heartbroken? And she says, I can't imagine. I am so wounded when I think that I will be judged someday at the great white throne judgment. And all of the things that I have done and sinning on this earth will be made public for everybody to see. She said, it just breaks my heart. Now, to me, brought up with a grandma who did nothing but read me the Bible, the way I learned to read in Oklahoma. I knew I had read these. I was familiar with. Let me, if I can, so that uh, you can always say that you heard it. Jeremiah. I'm going to give you uh, some so you can run, tell people, uh, hey, you're not going to be tried for your sins if you accept Christ. And they're going to say, well, yes, you are, my preacher. See, that's the way that they make money from you. But Jeremiah, let's see, where am I at here? Chapter uh, 31, verse 34. Can I read that one verse to you? And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them. And the Lord, uh, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is great news, men. Now, let me read you one other verse. In Zechariah, which was I was telling you, the next to the last book, last book of the Bible of Malachi, Zechariah is next to the last book, Last page, Zechariah, last paragraph uh, is uh, starts with verse 16. This is about 500 years before Christ. And listen to what this prophet Zechariah says. And it shall come to pass that every one that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, See, this is Christ during his 
millennial reign and keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during the millennium reign, here we are still keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, I mean, it's, do you see how important it is? And so I'm just trying to and listen to this. Here's uh, in the New Testament. Maybe you say, well, I don't believe the Old Testament Bible. Well, always look for three or four references, and you'll find them in the Bible. In Hebrews, and this is uh, chapter 8, can I just read you, please, uh, just one, maybe two verses. Uh, here's chapter 8, verse 12, Hebrews. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, this is Christ, he hath made the first old, now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So under Christ, he will remember our sins no more. Wow. And so, and can, uh, one, just one more, just one more. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 17 says, quote, And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Friends, hallelujah. That means you are judged if you have accepted Christ's atonement. Then you are judged only for your glory, the degrees of glory. That's a happy time. That's nothing to be weeping over other than the fact that God loves you so much and that his son loved his father so much that he gave his life. And he loves us so much that he would suffer so that we might be free of all our mistakes. I mean, that is something again. And so don't worry about this guy, Harold Camping. Worry about your salvation. And it's free. You can't pay for it. But look, see how easy it is. And all you do is ask the Holy Spirit to come into your heart. See, the, remember, that's been fulfilled. The Holy Spirit arrived Ten days after Christ left his apostles, and uh, this would have been uh, like in uh, 35 A.D. And so uh, the Holy Spirit has been here, the great comforter, the great truth detector. The Holy Spirit gives us the gifts, gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing, gifts of speaking in tongues. It's wonderful. So how do you know if you are saved? If your life has changed, if all of a sudden you can keep the Ten Commandments, if all of a sudden you want to keep the Ten Commandments, if all of a sudden you want to know what God has said that He that pleases Him, like uh, keeping the feast days, now you know that you have changed. 
All right. Sorry uh, for preaching at you, but I don't want uh, Harold Camping to have much influence over you. Uh, it's not, it's not going to be good. All right. Now, there is a lot of things that uh, are going on. Uh, we had the president make the statement that he thinks Netanyahu is with uh, Obama right now. And Obama uh, basically got the bird from Netanyahu. Obama says before the media that uh, Israel's borders should go back to the way they were in 1967. Well, in 1967, we had the Arab-Israeli War. And it was miraculous the way that Israel defeated nations that were far larger. When you look, look at Syria. Where is Syria? Syria is right up there surrounding Israel on the north. What surrounds Israel on the east? Jordan does. What surrounds Israel down south? Egypt does. Is Egypt bigger than uh, Israel? Is Jordan bigger than uh, Israel? Is Syria larger? Three at least and more besides. Huge Arab militaries with tanks and aircraft and infantry attacked Israel in 1967. Now, Israel beat them so badly that... They held onto the areas that they advanced into, for example, uh, to the south of them came Egypt. They took the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is on the Mediterranean, goes around to uh, the canal. And so Israel kept that. Now, Jordan... The West Bank uh, was across the Jordan River, and Israel pushed Jordan all the way back from Jerusalem, pushed them all the way back across the Jordan River. So they gained a great piece of ground there that is called the West Bank. Now, possibly the most strategic uh, piece of ground is the Golan Heights. When you look and see that they are surrounded by Syria over there by Lebanon, well, they beat Syria so bad that they captured the entire Golan Heights, which looks right down the throat at Damascus. And here is this huge water source where Christ is in a boat, comes across uh, this huge body of water, and that's where he met uh, the madman who was inhabited by a legion of demons. And that when he cast them out, they went into the body of swine who ran into the water and drowned themselves. Well, uh, Syria has begged Israel to give back the Golan Heights, but Israel never will. Because strategically, this has got Syria tied down. Syria can't leave Damascus without Israel knowing it. 
and Jordan and Egypt. And so uh, for uh, Obama, somebody that's never, I mean, as a socialist, uh, he lets other people fight his wars. Obama's never fought for anything. In Chicago, he may have uh, fought, you know, with the daily political machine and uh, how to uh, control neighborhoods. That's what Obama did. So uh, it is, to me, it is wrong for Obama. It tells, it is the, it is the Muslim coming out of Obama. Because you know something? I'm really not for Israel. I think, I agree with uh, the little Iranian president, Ahmadine Jad. Ahmadine Jad says if it was the Germans in Europe that caused the Holocaust and destroyed uh, your families, why didn't you take part of Europe? Why didn't you take Poland? Why didn't you take Czechoslovakia? Why didn't you take Hungary? Why didn't you uh, take parts of Russia, you know, that ran you out uh, when you had the Bolshevik Revolution back in World War One, and when Stalin finally, after Marx, uh, Trotsky, Lenin, all these people, after they die, then Stalin takes over and turns against the Jews, which it was the Jews who actually $25 million given by Goldman Sachs a Bank in New York to Trotsky and Lenin. It paid for uh, $25 million in gold. And uh, so you see, why didn't uh, the Jews take those countries and tell the UN we want a homeland? Instead, they went back where, for thousands of years, the Palestinians had occupied the areas where God had scattered Israel. There wasn't this. So who are the chosen people? By 70 A.D., the Romans had run all over the tribe of Judah. Before that, God had scattered and decimated the other ten tribes. So who are the chosen people? Well, you know that. I mean, what we have are Khazaris, to tell you the truth. As a matter of fact, uh, when you look at modern Judaism, you see the Sephardic uh, Jews are the Spanish Jews, the Ashkenazi Jews are the German Jews. But what tribes are these? This, these come from Khazaria. The king of Khazaria decided that his whole kingdom was going to become Jewish so that they didn't stay away from the Crusades because the Muslims were beating them up on one side and the Teutonic Knights were beating them up on the other side. So up in the Caucasus Mountains, what was uh, Russia and the Soviet Union, the Khazars all became Jews, not by birth, not by any tribe. And that's what you got. So the Bible, at the end, when you read the 
Christ's last commandment go, says go into the world to all uh, nations, kindreds, tongues. Preach the gospel to all creatures, it says. And they who accept will be saved. Uh, what a message. So don't worry about this dude. Uh, worry about you know being getting yourself uh, together. Anyway, I think that it is dumb. It is. It's amazing to me, you know, how Obama can uh, so easily insert uh, his foot in his mouth. He has done something that I think uh, shows uh, that he is. Uh, it, it shows a lot of Islam in Obama. Boy, I got so much to tell you, and I am running so uh, much out of time. Anyway, uh, what are we going to do? I guess I'll just have to say goodbye. Uh, By the way, if you have a Harley, you might be on it. If you have something favorite, get on it. Maybe tomorrow, if this guy is right, we get beamed up. Maybe I can take my Harley Davidson with me. My German Shepherd's already at Rainbow Bridge waiting on me, so I don't have to worry about putting him on the back of the motorcycle. All right, guys. I love you, and uh, I just tell you the things I do because I know they're true, and I want to see you live a better life, happier. So stay with American Voice Radio, and I'll see you moon day. But take care of the Sabbath. Figure that out, will you? See you later. Train to live off nature's land Trained in combat hand to hand Men who fight by night and day Courage takes from the green beret Silver wings upon their chest These are men
how to get it to come down and build a lot of sympathy and build a lot of thought and give out a lot of love and hard feelings so they could create something new where they could make a lot more money. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. How does the steel building turn to dust? Seriously. The other thing, I recently saw the movie Vaxxed. Vaxxed is making its way around the country and it's showing in the theaters and it's, it, you know, it's not it's not new to me because I talk about this stuff and I've been talking about this stuff for years. But the point that was made was that the CDC, the Centers for Deceit Control and Procrastination, covered up the fact for years that the MMR vaccine, in other words, the combination of the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, attributes considerably to autism. And they knew this, and they covered it up. Why? Because they didn't want to, the pharmaceutical industry didn't want to waste time by giving the individual shots, one for measles, one for mumps, and one for rubella. Because, hey, if you give all three at once, you can mix everything together. You can make a lot more money because people are hesitant to come back and come back and come back. But if you can get them all and you can inject them with all these synthetic chemicals all at once, man, yeah. Well, William Thompson kept his copies of the reports. And that's the only reason that the public was made aware of this fact. Unfortunately, Thompson can't come forward because it's a political thing. He just can't come forward. But if he gets subpoenaed, then he can open that up. Now, the question is, are the courts, are the courts paid off enough that they will not call him, they will not subpoena him, or are there any independent judges? I mean, if you look at the U.S. Supreme Court, that's a joke. They're all appointed by Obama. So nothing ever happens that will benefit the people. Anyway, there's so much going on with all the corruption in so many areas. And one of the questions that came up was, how far will big food go to silence dissenters and take control of the marketplace? Seriously, there was this investigative journalist from somewhere that wrote a book called The Fat Surprise, Why Butter, Meat, and Cheese Belong in a Healthy Diet. Of course, this lady should be in the insane asylum but that's not the point. The point is that she wrote the book. And the book explained the many benefits of saturated fats, which happens to go against the mainstream low-fat party line. Now, that's good because butter, meat, and cheese 
are the worst things that you can put into your body. So anyway, the following year, this lady published an article in the BNJ, the British Medical Journal, and she questioned the science behind the government's healthy dietary guidelines, which she said were outdated. And the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, the DGAC, they publish guidelines every five years, and they play a very big role in defining everything from food labeling to public feeding programs and nutrition education. And, of course, they're funded by the big food industry. Okay, so she, the lady, was not the only person to express her belief, but the Center for Science and the Public Interest was angry about her asking the BNJ via letter to retract the article. And the letter asking her to retract what she said was signed by about 180 so-called experts, many of whom have been criticized by the lady in the past. So this is back in 2014. So let's fast forward to the president. Present. Two of the panelists scheduled for conference, the former chairman of the DGAC, Dietary Guidelines, and the CSPI, the Centers for uh, Science, blah, 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 nutrition policy director said, they would not participate if she were to remain on the panel. And the influence that they had was so great that they got the organizers to rescind her invitation. <clears throat> so this is just another way that the big food industry perpetuates the myths that best serve its interests. And the low-fat myth is certainly one of them. Now, foods carry nutritional labels that emphasize calorie and fat counts. Doing so takes the spotlight off the preservatives and the artificial sweeteners that also appear on the label. Okay? So basically what's happening is they tend to gloss over in favor of fixating on fat as the true evil. And they're completely ignoring the fact that some fats are very healthy for the body, like the healthy fats that you find in avocados and raw whole milk, which is the reason why you can never get that anymore, and nuts and coconut oil. So when the DGAC the dietary guidelines, blah, 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 came out in support of the low-fat diets last year, a lot of the scientists were quick to point out the errors of their way. Now, there was a director of the Healthy Nation Coalition. Her name was Adele Haidt. She said, basically, what they're trying to do is enforce a diet that will result in poor health for many Americans because the DJAC expects us to eliminate foods that are traditionally found in nourishing dietary patterns. Instead, the federal government should focus on recommendations that help all Americans acquire 
essential nutrition. Now that makes sense. But that's not the only way the big food industry manages to shut up those who dare to tell the truth about science and nutrition. For example, there's an agency, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is heavily funded by big food, that has pushed the states to pass laws that create monopolies for registered dietitians only for dispensing nutritional advice. So as for the Centers for Science and the DGAC, they are so, if they're so certain that the science behind their claims is so sound, why aren't they willing to open it up to a healthy debate and allow those in attendance at the conference make up their minds for themselves? Because it's all about money. That's the whole thing. Then when you come over to biotech and the big farm companies, these guys, it's like they have their own money printing machines. And they're so loaded that they can purchase whatever they want and more of anything they desire. And what do they desire? They desire the ability to continue to sell their products to the world. There's nothing that perpetuates the endless cycle of sales like manipulation of the media and so-called quote-unquote official sources of information, as well as the government agencies and academia. So, for instance, as noted by the Center for Research on Globalization, the biotech sector loves to scream peer review when anti-GMO factions refer to scientific analyses and research-based findings in order to state their case. But even when the research is public, published in the peer-reviewed journals, the industry releases their attack hookers like John Entine to discredit and ruin the individual researchers, the methodology of research, and anything else related to the study. So peer review or no peer review, it doesn't matter to the biotech sector when the research findings have potential to damage its interest. In any case, peer review is only for the sector's critics. It doesn't seem to apply much to it. For instance, if the USDA, the US FDA, the Fraud and Drug Administration scientists, had continually warned regulators that the genetically modified crops could create unpredictable and hard-to-detect side effects, including allergies, toxin production, nutritional problems, and all kinds of diseases. They recommended that long-term studies were needed to fully assess the effect of genetically modified foods on other crops, the ecosystem, animal, and human health. 
But those warnings were ignored. Why were they ignored? Because in nearly every instance, financial concerns outweigh anything related to public safety. And for this industry, and really for big pharma as well, commercial interest, political strategy, and lobbying, not science, is what really counts. So Monsanto, Syngenta, and the other biotech hookers, or pimps, I should say, they collude with the government agencies and the officials to quote-unquote educate the public about genetically modified products, which basically they have to say educate rather than manipulate. And while the farm does the same thing when it comes to getting vaccines and other drugs that have not been properly vested or tested in the market, they don't care. So these companies use the media as well as key reporters. And Antine is like the chief case in point. So they use these people to propagandize and misinform about their products. And these are the kinds of tactics that are the same ones that are being used against Vax, which exposes, like I said, the legitimate link between autism and vaccines. And it features the CDC prevention whistleblower, Dr. William Thompson, who admitted that his agency covered up that link. Well, there's been a lot of success to censor the film, but that's been reversed. And they did have it removed from the list of films to be screened at a lot of festivals, including the re recent Tribeca Film Festival. And which was founded by Robert De Niro, blah, 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 it was canceled, even though De Niro has an autistic kid who was initially very interested. But yet the film was pulled from De Niro's Tribeca Film Festival, following this intense censorship effort waged by the vaccine-pushing mainstream media and the pharmaceutical-funded media science hookers. So the vaccine totalitarians and the media science hookers who demand absolute obedience to the fraudulent narrative that vaccines are safe and effective have zero tolerance for any intelligent conversations about vaccines. Yet, after De Niro pulled the schedule the film, he was forced to change his mind and pull the film. Now, he's telling people, you've got to see the film. So media people who are honest with readers and the American people in general know all about the tactics used by the biotech, biotech pimps and the big farm pimps, and that includes CBS News investigative reporter Cheryl Atkinson, who wrote a book called Stonewall. And one of her recent talks, she discussed one of the propaganda techniques, which she called astroturfing, 
which is an artificial bought and paid for reality that supplants the truth. So what happens is AstroTurf will manipulate you into changing your opinion by making it seem as if you're an outlier when you're not. And the hallmarks of AstroTurf from propaganda include the use of inflammatory language such as quack and crank and nutcase and pseudo and paranoid and conspiracy. But you have to watch out when an interest addresses an issue by controversializing or attacking the people, the personality, the organizations surrounding the issue rather than the facts. That could be AstroTurf. So is science going to fall victim to outside pressures? Well, unless radical reform is achieved, peer-reviewed publication, which many hold to be the defining characteristic of science, will have undergone a remarkable revision. And the Center for Research on Globalization said, from its origin as a safeguard of quality and independence, it will have become a tool through which one vision, that of corporate science, came to assert ultimate control. And then this guy who was a professor of plant pathology at Purdue University said that getting research findings published that do not coincide with the aims of key commercial interests can be difficult and comes with certain risks. And you've got highly powerful players involved that have influence over journal content that have successfully infiltrated important government and official bodies. And much of the science and debate is being manipulated and hijacked by the vested interests for commercial gain so how do you know what to believe and who to believe? I'll tell you, you believe the people. You don't believe the corporation. They're only there to make money. They don't give a crap about you. Interestingly enough, there's a new study by patient safety researchers that pushed their or published their analysis in the British Medical Journal on May 3rd that showed that medical errors in hospitals and other healthcare facilities are incredibly common and may now be the third leading cause of death in the United States claiming 251,000 lives every year, more than respiratory disease, accidents, strokes, and Alzheimer's. So basically, it boils down to people dying from the care they receive rather than the disease for which they are seeking care. And this calculation of 250,000 deaths a year equates to nearly 700 deaths a day, which is about 9.5% of all deaths annually in the United States. 
Then the CDC, the Centers for Discrete Control and uh, Disease, <laughs> the Centers for Deceit, Control, and Procrastination, they don't require reporting of medical errors in the data they collect about death through billing codes, making it hard to see what's really going on at a national level. And the element of harm that is often overlooked is the number of severe patient injuries resulting from a medical error, and some estimates put that number at 40 times the death rate. So let's take a look. First of all, the study is focusing on medical errors in hospitals and other healthcare facilities. So did the researchers do much work looking for fatal errors that occur in the average doctor's offices? If they didn't, then the death numbers mentioned in the study are on the low side. So the CDC, which regularly reports mortality figures, does not receive data it does not require data from doctors on errors which lead to patients' deaths. So the CDC is completely in the dark on the third leading cause of death in the United States. And you have to understand it's the same agency that assures the public that vaccines are wonderfully safe and effective. So consider the final quote. The estimate that severe patient injuries from medical errors are 40 times the death figure would give us the fact that every year in the United States, there are 10 million severe injuries as a result of medical errors. How long have I been talking about this? But what do I know? I'm just a little guy in Hawaii. The hell do I know? You know what I mean? So Barbara Starfield, is a public health expert. And in her studies, she separated deaths from errors, mistreatment in hospitals, and deaths from medical drugs, and found that yearly deaths from mistreatment and errors in hospitals are roughly 119,000. Yearly deaths from correctly prescribed medical drugs are 106,000. But the study doesn't specifically give a death number for the medical drug category. So again, we can only assume that the new study is citing an overall death figure that is on the low side. So let's round it off. Let's round off the 250,000 death figure, and let's call it 300,000 deaths in America as a direct result of the medical system. 300,000 deaths a year works out to be 3 million deaths per decade and 100 million severe patient injuries per decade. And you know what helped this? <laughs> you know what helped to bring this out? Obamacare. <laughs> you got to love it. So, while I'm on the subject of this medical crap, prescription pain-killing drugs like OxyContin and Vicodin, they are now directly responsible for killing 40 Americans every single 
day. And this fact comes from new data that was compiled by the Centers for Deceit Control and Procrastination as part of an ongoing investigation into prescription drug abuse. So the numbers from the CDC report show that more people are now killed by opioid prescription drugs than they are by overdoses from both heroin and cocaine combined. And those numbers match the ones released in the 2009 study conducted by the physicians at St. Michael's Hospital and the Institute for Clinical Evaluative Sciences in Canada, which found the same thing. So in, since 1999, the number of individuals taking prescription painkillers to get high rather than to legitimate, legitimately treat pain has tripled. One in 20 U.S. adults now admit to have abused prescription narcs, of which the most popularly abused are Vicodin, Oxycontin, and Opana. God, that sounds so close to Obama. And methadone, according to the CDC. So how are individuals gaining access to these high amounts of these deadly, deadly drugs? Do you think that it could be irresponsible doctors rather than street dealers? The problem is more from doctors than the drug pushers on the street corners. In California, that situation is disturbing as more than 62% of painkiller prescriptions were found to have been prescribed by just 3% of doctors, meaning that a handful of doctors are freely dispensing these highly addictive and deadly drugs to patients that most likely are not legitimate candidates for them. And worse, the federal government is doing little, if anything, to put a stop to the madness and protect the public. Okay, yeah, sure, it continues to, quote-unquote, investigate the tide of illness and death caused by the prescription drug nightmare, but it doesn't take any practical steps to prosecute the doctors for malpractice or hold the drug companies responsible for making the dangerous drugs in the first place. So in other words, while the federal government is busy wasting millions of taxpayer dollars raiding the whole food buying clubs and the herb supplement companies and the raw milk dairies that provide the customers with health-promoting foods, the pharmaceutical industry is literally getting away with government-sanctioned murder as it continues to freely peddle its deadly drugs to the world. <laughs> oh, it doesn't end with that. It, really, you got Monsanto that has their blockbuster herbicide Roundup, which contains glyphosate, that causes serious health problems even at low levels of exposure and can cause cancer. So the glyphosate in Roundup 
makes it the top-selling herbicide worldwide. And the growth of Roundup has ballooned in the past few decades, largely because of widespread adoption of Roundup-resistant genetically modified crops. So in other words, you create a pesticide and you make a crop that you can just deluge it and it doesn't affect the crop, but it stays in the crop. And then the people eat the crop and they ingest all those heavy pesticides and they say, oh, 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 is really good. Oh my God, I love that. So these high levels of use mean that the water supplies around the country are contaminated with Roundup, exposing more people to the chemical. And then the GM crops have higher levels of the residue, as do certain other crops that are deliberately killed with Roundup in order to produce a synchronized harvest. And now they're finding out there was a study that fluoride causes cancer. And Hawaii is the only state in the United States that is not fluoridated except for the military bases because we know the government loves the people that serve their country. Look, in large doses, glyphosate can cause pathophysiological changes, including metabolic acidosis. And severe glyphosate poisoning causes altered consciousness, dehydration, liver dysfunction, pulmonary edema, dysremias, oliguria, which is low urine output, meaning that when you pee, you just trickle, and other stuff, and cancer. You understand? So when you take all this together, the evidence suggests that glyphosate in the doses equivalent to allow residues in food ingested over a long period of time causes a low-grade chronic acidosis as well as mitochondrial dysfunction. And because this effect is caused by chronic low-dose exposure, it has been overlooked. So the researchers, they looked at reports in the FDA's Adverse Event Reporting System database for health problems associated with glyphosate. And they compared them with the health problems listed in the database for the drugs known to cause mitochondrial dysfunction. And the symptoms and diseases listed for glyphosate and for the drugs were very, very consistent. So because mitochondrial dysfunction can produce a great many different diseases, the researchers hypothesized that many of the diseases of modern life can be caused in part by chronic low-dose exposure, exposure to environmental contaminants, including herbicides, pesticides, and industrial chemicals pharmaceutical products, and food additives. So studies, prior studies, indicated that glyphosate can produce health damage in very low concentrations. 
There was a study published in the, the journal Environmental Health back in August of 2015 that found that long-term consumption of levels of Roundup below those allowed in the U.S. drinking water, as though they were going to let it go in the water in the first place, could cause changes in gene expression leading to liver and kidney damage. Then there was another study conducted by these guys in Australia that found that the levels of Roundup in the U.S. on Australian drinking water can cause hormone-disrupting effects. And then another study found, surprisingly, that the commercial product Roundup was more toxic than the active ingredient glyphosate on its own. So this then calls into question the widespread regulatory practice of assuming that only a product's active ingredient has effects on the body. Look, the European Union Food Safety Authority admitted that Roundup, though not glyphosate, but glyphosate, causes genotoxic effects that can lead to cancer. It's the first time that a government agency admitted that an inactive ingredient can be dangerous. And there's all these health concerns with Roundup that keep appearing. The studies have linked to genetic and cellular disease and uh, implicated the herbicide and chronic kidney disease epidemic that swept through India as well as Central America. Yet, you know what? Nobody bans it. Why? And God we trust, all others pay cash. You guys all remember what happened in Flint, Michigan. <laughs> he says with a straight face. So there were these officials that had been indicted in Flint for poisoning a lot of people in Flint, Michigan, mostly African-American residents in the city, with water-containing dangerous amounts of lead. As reported by the Associated Press and a lot of others, the officials, two state environmental regulators and one city employee were pivotal in poisoning the residents of Flint, a city of 100,000, for nearly 18 months after a decision was made by a state-appointed emergency manager to begin using the polluted Flint River for tap water as a way to save money while the new pipeline was, pipeline was being built. So because the water was not treated to control corrosion, the lead from the aging pipes and the fixtures leached into the water that went into the homes and the businesses, poisoning adults and children with lead concentrations that were 13,000 times higher than legally allowed. <laughs> so... I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. So the irony of this poisoning is amazing, especially when you compare it to the lack of prosecution for officials who are responsible on a daily basis for poisoning the American people with mercury, which was a highly toxic substance that's found most commonly in our vaccines. So there was this guy, his name is Eric Gladden, and he made a documentary called 
trace amounts. And it was about assigning mercury to conditions that it caused. And he announced that he would be traveling the country speaking to experts about the link between mercury and autism. So this guy, he received a tetanus shot in his late 20s, and it almost sent him over the edge, medically speaking, and almost resulting in his committing suicide. And basically, it was discovered that the mercury component of the tetanus vaccine, thimerosal, poisoned him and saddled him with health problems that seemed incurable. And yet, nobody has been punished for the crime. And that's what it is, a crime. Even after the federal government's premier health agency, the Centers for Deceit, Control, and Procrastination has proven time and time again that it is untrustworthy and fraudulent. So back in 2014, there was this Danish scientist, uh, Paul Thorsen, who was indicted for stealing millions from the CDC and used it to cover up vaccine dangers and who fled the CDC to avoid further action. Nonetheless, the guy has not come clean about his phony research that screwed up the link between autism and vaccines. And what's more, the CDC continued to cite this guy's evidence that vaccines are completely safe. So one by one, the guy's research was refuted and rebuked. But the Obama Justice Department allowed him to remain completely aloof from his scientific perch at the hospital he worked in in Denmark. Even though the U.S. and Denmark signed an extradition treaty that took effect on July 31st in 1974. So, what do you do? What's a little-known truth about mercury toxicity that we don't know about? Well, leaky gut syndrome makes mercury toxicity far worse. Mercury can fry the kidney and cause total kidney failure. Ethyl mercury, the kind that's found in vaccines, is actually many times more toxic than methyl mercury once it goes through the cell walls. They are the two worst sources of mercury exposure for most people. And how mercury gets transported through the environment creating multiple opportunities for exposure through air, soil, food, water, etc., is ridiculous. Mercury's spe- uh, uh, speciation on how and how a detailed mercury analysis of your blood, hair, and urine can reveal a wealth of information about your health. And then you need to know what supplements can help increase the body's ability to eliminate mercury from the blood and the GI tract. The best thing to detox toxins and heavy metals is organic sulfur crystals. 
<laughs> this is a funny story. There's a guy in Hawaii who says to me, is this stuff going to help me? I said, yeah. He said, will it detox me? I said, yeah. He said, well, how will the detox be? I said, it comes in a lot of ways. And I get a phone call from the guy last night telling me that for about a week and a half, the guy has been going doo-doo like every three or four hours, even if he doesn't eat. <laughs> I said, well, you're still doing it. He said, no, it passed after a week, man. I said, how do you feel? He said, well, I feel really good not having to go to the toilet all the time, but I can tell that my body seems healthier. That's because the organic sulfur crystals will re remove all these heavy metals, all these toxins, all these synthetics, all this Roundup, everything, the mercury, the thimerosal, the PCBs in the ocean, everything. Then, of course, you got the professional hookers for the vaccine who pose as researchers, right, that lie. And all the while, the CDC, the other establishment academic and healthcare organizations warn that too much mercury in certain species of fish is bad for our health and dangerous outright. But none of them says a word about the dangers of mercury in vaccines that can build up in your brain and remain there for a long, long time. So it's kind of appropriate for officials associated with the lead poisoning in Flint to be held accountable. But you might notice a pattern developing there. Once again, the federal government has refused to hold anyone, any of their own officials accountable, though some EPA officials were well aware of the problem. Why is that? <laughs> he, hmm, he says with a straight face. Hmm, I don't understand why that would be happening. My goodness gracious. It is so heavy that all this stuff goes on, but yet nobody, but nobody wants to do anything about it. Why is that? I don't, I, I don't, I, 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 oh boy. Do you think um, government is complacent in this? Do, do, do you think that they're afraid that if they're found out what they do, oh, people would be upset? I, I, I hmm, gee, hmm, oh, man. Oh, I, oh, see, we got a problem. We have a problem, a very serious problem. And that problem is many, 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 many people do not take responsibility for themselves. They're in big hurries. They don't have a lot of time. They don't think it matters. You got to, can you imagine you drive your car and you put kerosene in a gas tank? How long do you think it would be before
your engine broke down? Seriously, I'm asking that as a serious question. Obviously, you wouldn't put kerosene in your gas tank, but you are. And I've said it time and time again that the digestive tract of the human being is like a convoluted switchback road. That means it's not a straight line like the digestive tracts are in the carnivorous animals. When they eat flesh, it passes right out of the body. When a convoluted switchback road person eats flesh, it gets caught up in the switchbacks. So if it gets caught up in the switchbacks and flesh foods leave the body in four to seven days, my question is, what is happening in your body? Where are all those poisons going to? Where are all those chemicals going to? Why do you have restricted blood flow? Why does someone get a heart attack when they're 50 years old or a stroke or erectile dysfunction? Why is that? Why is that? It's because you're not supposed to eat that stuff. But the problem is your tongue has taken control over your intelligence. Does that make any sense? I would think so. That the tongue has taken control over intelligence. So your intelligence has to wage war with your tongue. Okay, so I understand thoroughly that you like the taste of flesh and blood. I understand that. I don't have a problem with that. But do you think that if you sincerely and truly made an effort to change your taste, that that would take precedence eventually over your tongue? You know, I, 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 I talk about this many times. Look, I was, I was a little kid growing up in Newark, New Jersey. My parents uh, fed me pancakes, bacon and eggs, hamburgers, French toast, a lot of maple syrup, a lot of sugar, steaks, chicken, fish. I hated fish. I mean, this, this is what I got. And I got a little side order of peas and carrots because I said, I have to eat your vegetables. Of course, there were only, you know, four or five on the plate. So that, but that's irrelevant. But that was my whole life, you know? And I was vaccinated as a kid and I had asthma my whole life. Well, one day when I was in my mid 30s, this girl said to me, why don't we become vegetarians? And out of the blue, I said, okay, just like that, out of the blue, no worries. Let's do it. <laughs> so I did it, and that was in 1975. 1975. And since that time, 
um, I, I, I don't have any illnesses. I don't take any meds. And I'm a healthy guy. I know I'm going to die. Everybody dies. But why do you have to die early? Hey, just think, think, look at the good news. The government wants you to leave your body before you reach retirement age. Now, why is that? Because before retirement age, you're working all the time and you're paying taxes, which means that you're giving money to the government. If you leave your body before retirement age, they don't got to give you money back in Social Security. <laughs> really, they don't, because you're not there anymore. So the point is that people who can live into their 60s, their 70s, their 80s, and their 90s really, really, really tick off the government because they can't stop paying back what you paid in. What they did, which was very criminal, was you paid Social Security taxes. Now, whatever Social Security you earn, you have to include on your tax return and possibly, depending upon your income, you have to pay tax on the tax that you originally paid. Does that, does that make sense to you? It sure as hell doesn't make sense to me. What it says to me is the government, to avoid bankruptcy coming sooner than it will, is trying to save their okoli, which is Hawaiian for butt, by charging you for the taxes that you already paid. So... Think about it. Government is out to screw you. They don't give a crap about you. So why don't you decide to screw the government? If you change your diet to a plant-based diet that's centered around whole grains, that's centered around organics, what's going to happen is it's going to increase your blood flow it's going to increase your elimination. It's going to clean out a lot of toxins. It's going to possibly eliminate, and it will eliminate, your arthritis. It'll clear up your heart disease. It'll prevent you from getting a stroke. And you won't have to see Alice because you have erectile dysfunction. Can you imagine someone telling you, if you experience an erection for more than four hours, please do not go on a crowded bus or a subway. That's what they should say instead of saying, see your doctor. Can you imagine what would happen if you live in Manhattan and you got to go on a subway and you got a four-hour problem and you bump into the back of some girl? Oh, my God, the horror. Hey, I'm making light of this, but the point is, it's a reality. So the purpose of what I do is, like in my book, A Sane Diet for an Insane World, which you can find out more about 
if you go to www.sanediet.com, is to try to lead you to the waterhole. That's all anyone can do. We can give you the information. We can tell you how to get it and what to do with it. But to do it, that that's that's up to you. It's not up to me. For you guys out there, you women out there that are experiencing menopause, organic sulfur will alleviate the pain of menopause. And I'm serious about that. It will. I remember there was a woman in Colorado who was suffering from migraine headaches. And she asked me if the sulfur would help her with her migraines because she got migraines every time she got her monthly period. I said, yeah, no problem. So she tells me that one day she wakes up, her migraines are gone. One day she wakes up and she's got a blood stain on her sheet. And she's trying to figure out, why do I have a blood stain on my sheet? And she says, oh my God, I got my period. But I didn't get my migraine. And I didn't even get pain or any discomfort. But I got my period. Oh my God. This is just tip of the iceberg. This was taken away from us by the Rockefellers when they switched from manure, which was rich in sulfur, to petrochemical fertilizer. The petrochemical fertilizers killed all the sulfur in the soil, made people sick, and brought right into their agenda of reducing the population. So if you want more information, go to my website, which is www.healthtalkhawaii.com. You can hear tons of radio shows. You can read tons of articles. If you click on products, you can read all about the sulfur, and you can also order it. I'm telling you that I can't make changes for you. You can only make changes for you. Anyway, uh, I had so much more stuff that I want to talk about, but... I guess we're going to have to wait another week. <laughs> if I'm still alive, you know, it's really funny. The government here, all the politicians hate me. I call guys Pinocchio all the time, and I bust them on their on their bull crap, and I tell them how the, all they want is money, and they don't care about the people. And I just figure one day, you know, someone's going to upset somebody really high. Won't be the first time I'll have to defend myself, but I don't know. So anyway, I think we got about a minute or two left, and George Harrison is doing his thing, and I'm running out of words. So with that, we'll let George do his thing, and I wish you all well, and I'll catch you all next week. Aloha.
when people say we well, don't believe in global warming, I say no, I believe in global warming. I don't believe that, that human CO2 is causing that warming. A few years ago, if you would ask me, I would tell you it's CO2. Why? Because just like everyone else in the public, I uh, listened to what the uh, media had to say. Each day, the news reports grow more fantastically apocalyptic. Politicians no longer dare to express any doubt about climate change. There is such intolerance of any dissenting voice. Are some of the worst climate criminals on the planet. This is the most politically incorrect thing possible, is to doubt this climate change orthodoxy. Global warming has gone beyond politics. It is a new kind of morality. Now the Prime Minister is back from his holidays, unrepentant and unembarrassed about yet another long-haul destination. Yet, as the frenzy of a man-made global warming grows shriller, many senior climate scientists say the actual scientific basis for the theory is crumbling. There were periods, for example, in Earth's history when we had three times as much CO2 as we have today, or periods when we had ten times as much CO2 as we have today, and if CO2 has a large effect on climate, then you should see it in the temperature reconstruction. If we look at climate through the geological time frame, we would never suspect CO2 as a major climate driver. None of the major climate changes in the last thousand years can be explained by CO2. We can't say that CO2 will drive climate. It certainly never did in the past. I've often heard it said that there is a consensus of thousands of scientists on the global warming issue and that humans are causing a catastrophic change to the climate system. Well, I am one scientist, and there are many that simply think that is not true. Man-made global warming is no ordinary scientific theory. This morning, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change made up of... It is presented in the media as having the stamp of authority of an impressive international organization. From the IPCC, the... the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. The IPCC, like any UN body, is political. The final conclusions are politically driven. This claim that the IPCC is the world's top 1,500 or 2,500 uh, scientists, you look at the bibliographies of the people and it's simply not true. There are quite a number of non-scientists. And to build the number up to 2,500, they have to start taking reviewers and government people and so on, anyone who ever came close to them. And none of them are asked to agree. Many of them disagree. Those people who are specialists but don't agree with the polemic and resign, and there have been a number that I know of, uh, they are simply put on the author list and become part of this 2,500 of the world's top scientists. People have decided you have to convince other people that since no scientist disagrees, you shouldn't disagree either. Uh, but that, whenever you hear that in science, that's pure propaganda. This is the story of how a theory about climate turned into a political ideology. See, I don't even like to call it the environmental movement anymore because really it is a political activist movement and they have become hugely influential at a global level. It is the story of the distortion of a whole area of science. Climate scientists need there to be a problem in order to get funding. We have a vested interest in creating panic because then money will flow to climate science. There's one thing you shouldn't say, and that is, this might not be a problem. 
It is the story of how a political campaign turned into a bureaucratic bandwagon. The fact of the matter is that tens of thousands of jobs depend upon global warming right now. It's a big business. It's become a great industry in itself. And if the whole global warming farrago collapsed, there'd be an awful lot of people out of jobs and looking for work. This is a story of censorship and intimidation. I've seen and heard their spitting fury at anybody who might disagree with them, which is not the scientific way. It is a story about Westerners invoking the threat of climatic disaster to hinder vital industrial progress in the developing world. One clear thing that emerges from the whole uh, environmental debate is the point that uh, there's, there's somebody keen to kill the African dream, and the African dream is to develop. The environmental movement has evolved into the strongest force there is for preventing development in the developing countries. The global warming story is a cautionary tale of how a media scare became the defining idea of a generation. The whole global warming business has become like a religion. And uh, people who disagree are called heretics. I'm a heretic. Uh, the makers of this program are all heretics. In 2005, a House of Lords inquiry was set up to examine the scientific evidence of man-made global warming. A leading figure in that inquiry was Lord Lawson of Blaby, who, as Chancellor of the Exchequer in the 1980s, was the first politician to commit government money to global warming research. Had a very, very thorough inquiry, took evidence from a whole lot of uh, people expert in this area and produced a report. What surprised me was to discover how weak and uncertain the science was. In fact, there are more and more thoughtful people, some of them a little bit frightened to come out in the open, but who quietly, privately, and some of them publicly, are saying, hang on, wait a minute, this simply doesn't add up. We are told that the Earth's climate is changing. But the Earth's climate is always changing. In Earth's long history, there have been countless periods when it was much warmer and much cooler than it is today, when much of the world was covered by tropical forests or else vast ice sheets. The climate has always changed and changed without any help from us humans. We can trace the present warming trend back at least 200 years to the end of a very cold period in Earth's history. This cold spell is known to climatologists as the Little Ice Age. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show time to stop. In the 14th century, Europe plunged into the Little Ice Age. And where we would look for evidence of this are the old illustrations and prints and pictures of Old Father Thames, because during the hardest and toughest winters of that little ice age, the Thames would freeze over. And there were wonderful ice fairs held on the Thames, skating and people actually selling things on the ice. 
back further in time, before the Little Ice Age, we find a balmy golden era, when temperatures were higher than they are today, a time known to climatologists as the medieval warm period. It's important that people know that climate enabled a quite different lifestyle in the medieval period. We have this view today that warming is going to have apocalyptic outcomes. In fact, wherever you describe this warm period, it appears to be associated with riches. We're having a heat wave. In Europe, this was the great age of the cathedral builders, a time when, according to Chaucer, vineyards flourished even in the north of England. All over the city of London, there are little memories of the vineyards that grew in the medieval warm period. So this was a wonderfully rich time. And this little church, in a sense, symbolized it, because it comes from a period of great wealth. Going back in time further still, before the medieval warm period, we find more warm spells, including a very prolonged period during the Bronze Age, known to geologists as the Holocene Maximum, when temperatures were significantly higher than they are now for more than three millennia. If we go back 8,000 years in the Holocene period, our current interglacial, it was much warmer than it, was, than it is today. Now the polar bears obviously survived that period, they're with us today, they are very adaptable and these warm periods in the past, what we call hipsy thermals, uh, pose no problem for them. Climate variation in the past is clearly natural. So why do we think it's any different today? alarm about global warming, the culprit is industrial society. Thanks to modern industry, luxuries once enjoyed exclusively by the rich are now available in abundance to ordinary people. Novel technologies have made life easier and richer. Modern transport and communications have made the world seem less foreign and distant. Industrial progress has changed our lives. But has it also changed the climate? According to the theory of man-made global warming, industrial growth should cause the temperature to rise. But does it? Anyone who goes around and says that carbon dioxide is responsible for most of the warming of the 20th century hasn't looked at the basic numbers. Industrial production in the early decades of the 20th century was still in its infancy restricted to only a few countries, handicapped by war and economic depression. After the Second World War, things changed. Consumer goods like refrigerators and washing machines and TVs and cars began to be mass-produced for an international market. Historians call this global explosion of industrial activity the post-war economic boom. So how does the industrial story compare with the temperature record? mid-19th century, the Earth's temperature has risen by just over half a degree Celsius. But this warming began long before cars and planes were even invented. What's more, most of the rise in temperature occurred before 1940, during a period when industrial production was relatively insignificant. After the Second World War, during the post-war economic boom, temperatures, in theory, should have shot up. But they didn't. They fell, not for one or two years, but for four decades. In fact, paradoxically, it wasn't until the World Economic Recession in the 1970s that they stopped falling. 
CO2 began to increase exponentially uh, in about 1940, but the temperature actually began to decrease 1940, uh, continued till about 1975. So this is the opposite relation. When the, the CO2 is increasing rapidly, but yet the temperature is decreasing, then we cannot say that CO2 and the temperature go together. Temperature went up significantly up to 1940 when human production of CO2 was, was relatively low. And then in the post-war years, when industry and the whole economies of the world really got going and human production of CO2 just soared, the global temperature was going down. In other words, the facts didn't fit the theory. Just at the time when, after the Second World War, industry was booming, carbon dioxide was increasing, and yet the earth was getting cooler and starting off scares of a coming ice age. It made absolutely no sense. It still doesn't make sense. Why do we suppose that carbon dioxide is responsible for our changing climate? CO2 forms only a very small part of the Earth's atmosphere. In fact, we measure changes in the level of atmospheric CO2 in tens of parts per million. If you take CO2 as a percentage of all the gases in the atmosphere, the oxygen, the nitrogen, and argon, and so on, it's 0.054%. It's an incredibly small portion. And then, of course, you've got to take that portion that supposedly humans are adding, which is the focus of all the concern, and it gets even smaller. Although CO2 is a greenhouse gas, greenhouse gases themselves only form a small part of the atmosphere. What's more, CO2 is a relatively minor greenhouse gas. The atmosphere is made up of, of a multitude of gases. A small percentage of them we call greenhouse gases. And of that very small percentage of greenhouse gases, 95% of it is water vapor. It's the most important greenhouse gas. Water vapor is a greenhouse gas, by far the most important greenhouse gas. So is there any way of checking whether the recent warming was due to an increase in greenhouse gas? There is only one way to tell, and that is to look up in the sky, or a part of the sky known to scientists as the troposphere. If it's greenhouse warming, you get more warming in the middle of the troposphere, the first 10, 12 kilometers of the atmosphere, than you do at the surface. There are good theoretical reasons for that having to do with how the greenhouse works. The greenhouse effect works like this. The sun sends its heat down to Earth. If it weren't for greenhouse gases, this solar radiation would bounce back into space, leaving the planet cold and uninhabitable. Greenhouse gas traps the escaping heat in the Earth's troposphere, a few miles above the surface. And it's here, according to the climate models, that the rate of warming should be highest, if it's greenhouse gas that's causing it. All the models, every one of them, calculates that the warming should be faster as you go up from the surface into the atmosphere. And in fact, the maximum warming over the equator should take place at an altitude of about 10 kilometers. A scientist largely responsible for measuring the temperature in the Earth's atmosphere is Professor John Christie. In 1991, he was awarded NASA's Medal for Exceptional Scientific Achievement. 
1996 received a special award from the American Meteorological Society for fundamentally advancing our ability to monitor climate. He was the lead author on the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC. There are two ways to take the temperature in the Earth's atmosphere, satellites and weather balloons. What we found consistently is that in a great part of the planet, that the bulk of the atmosphere is not warming as much as we see at the surface in this region. And that's a real head-scratcher for us because uh, uh, the theory is pretty straightforward. And the theory says that if the surface warms, the upper atmosphere should warm rapidly. The rise in temperature of that part of the atmosphere is not very dramatic at all and really does not match the theory that climate models are expressing at this point. One of the problems that is plaguing the models is that they predict that as you go up through the atmosphere, except in the polar regions, that the rate of warming increases. And it's quite clear from two data sets, not just satellite data, which everybody talks about, but from weather balloon data, that you don't see that effect. In fact, it looks like the surface temperatures are warming slightly more than the upper air temperatures. So that's a big difference. That data gives you a handle on the fact that what you're seeing is warming that probably is not due to greenhouse gases. That is, the observations do not show an increase with altitude. In fact, most observations show a slight decrease in the rate of warming with altitude. So in a sense, you can say that the hypothesis of man-made global warming is falsified by the evidence. So the recent warming of the Earth happened in the wrong place and at the wrong time. Most of the warming took place in the early part of the 20th century and occurred mostly at the Earth's surface. The very opposite of what should have happened according to the theory of man-made global warming. I am Al Gore. I used to be the next president of the United States. Former Vice President Al Gore's emotional film, An Inconvenient Truth, is regarded by many as the definitive popular presentation of the theory of man-made global warming. His argument rests on one all-important piece of evidence taken from ice core surveys in which scientists drill deep into the ice to look back into Earth's climate history hundreds of thousands of years. The first ice core survey took place in Vostok in the Antarctic. What it found, as Al Gore correctly points out, was a clear correlation between carbon dioxide and temperature. We're going back in time now, 650,000 years. Here's what the temperature has been on our Earth. Now one thing that kind of jumps out at you is, do they ever fit together? <laughs> Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. The relationship is actually very complicated. But there is one relationship that is far more powerful than all the others, and it is this. When there is more carbon dioxide, the temperature gets warmer. Al Gore says the relationship between temperature and CO2 is complicated. But he doesn't say what those complications are. In fact, there was something very important in the ice core data that he failed to mention. Professor Ian Clark is a leading Arctic paleoclimatologist who looks back into the Earth's temperature record tens of millions of years. When we look 
at uh, climate on long scales, we're looking for geological material that actually records climate. If we were to take an ice sample, for example, we use isotopes to reconstruct temperature, but the atmosphere that's imprisoned in that ice, we liberate, and then we look at the CO2 content. Professor Clark and others have indeed discovered, as Al Gore says, a link between carbon dioxide and temperature. But what Al Gore doesn't say is that the link is the wrong way round. So here we're looking at the ice core record from Vostok, and in the red we see temperature going up from early time to later time at a very key interval when we came out of a glaciation. And we see the temperature going up, and then we see the CO2 coming up. CO2 lags behind that increase. It's got an 800-year lag, so temperature is leading CO2 by 800 years. There have now been several major ice core surveys. Every one of them shows the same thing. The temperature rises or falls, and then, after a few hundred years, carbon dioxide follows. So obviously, carbon dioxide is not the cause of that warming. In fact, we can say that the warming produced the increase in carbon dioxide. CO2 clearly cannot be causing temperature changes. It's a product of temperature. It's following temperature changes. The ice core record goes to the very heart of the problem we have here. They said if the CO2 increases in the atmosphere as a greenhouse gas, then the temperature will go up. But the ice core record shows exactly the opposite. So the fundamental assumption, the most fundamental assumption of the whole theory of, of climate change due to humans is, is shown to be wrong. But how can it be that higher temperatures lead to more CO2 in the atmosphere? To understand this, we must first restate the obvious point that carbon dioxide is a natural gas produced by all living things. Few things annoy me more than to hear people talking about carbon dioxide as being a pollutant. You're made of carbon dioxide. I'm made of carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is how living things grow. What's more, humans are not the main source of carbon dioxide. Humans produce a um, small fraction in the single digits percentage-wise of the CO2 that is produced in the atmosphere. <laughs> Volcanoes produce more CO2 each year than all the factories and cars and planes and other sources of man-made carbon dioxide put together. More still comes from animals and bacteria, which produce about 150 gigatons of CO2 each year, compared to a mere 6.5 gigatons from humans. An even larger source of CO2 is dying vegetation, from falling leaves, for example, in the autumn. But the biggest source of CO2 by far is the oceans. Carl Wunsch is Professor of Oceanography at MIT. He was also visiting Professor in Oceanography at Harvard University and University College London, and a Senior Visiting Fellow in Mathematics and Physics at the University of Cambridge. He is the author of four major textbooks on oceanography. The ocean is the major reservoir into which carbon dioxide goes when it comes out of the atmosphere or to, from which it is re-emitted to the, the atmosphere. If you heat the surface of the ocean, it tends to emit carbon dioxide. 
But similarly, if you cool the ocean surface, the ocean can dissolve more carbon dioxide. So the warmer the oceans, the more carbon dioxide they produce, and the cooler they are, the more they suck in. But why is there a time lag of hundreds of years between a change in temperature and a change in the amount of carbon dioxide going into or out of the sea? The reason is that oceans are so big and so deep, they take literally hundreds of years to warm up and cool down. This time lag means the oceans have what scientists call a memory of temperature changes. The ocean has a memory of past events uh, running out as far as 10,000 years. So for example, if somebody says, oh, I'm seeing changes in the North Atlantic, this must mean that the climate system is changing. It may only mean that something happened in a remote part of the ocean decades or hundreds of years ago, whose effects are now beginning to show up in the North Atlantic. The current warming began long before people had cars or electric lights. In the past 150 years, the temperature has risen just over half a degree Celsius. But most of that rise occurred before 1940. Since that time, the temperature has fallen for four decades and risen for three. There is no evidence at all from Earth's long climate history that carbon dioxide has ever determined global temperatures. But if CO2 doesn't drive Earth's climate, what does? The common belief that carbon dioxide is driving climate change is at odds with much of the available scientific data. Data from weather balloons and satellites, from ice core surveys, and from the historical temperature records. But if CO2 isn't driving climate, what is? to think that it's humans, you know, when we're filling up our car, turning on our lights, that we are the ones controlling climate. Just look in the sky. Look at that massive thing, the sun. Even humans at our present six and a half billion are minute relative to that. In the late 1980s, solar physicist Piers Corbin decided to try a radically new way of forecasting the weather. Despite the huge resources of the official Met Office, Corbin's new technique consistently produced more accurate results. He was hailed in the national press as a super weatherman. The secret of his success was the sun. The origin of our solar weather technique of long-range forecasting came originally from study of sunspots and the desire to predict those. And then I realized it was actually much more interesting to use the sun to predict the weather. Sunspots, we now know, are intense magnetic fields which appear at times of higher solar activity. But for many hundreds of years, long before this was properly understood, astronomers around the world used to count the number of sunspots in the belief that more spots heralded warmer weather. In 1893, the British astronomer Edward Maunder observed that during the Little Ice Age, there were barely any spots visible on the sun, a period of solar inactivity which became known as the Maunder Minimum. But how reliable are sunspots as an indicator of the weather? Okay, boy. 
I decided to test it by gambling on the weather through William Hill against what the Met Office said was a, you know, a normal expectation. And I won money month after month after month after month. Last winter the Met Office said it could be or would be an exceptionally cold winter. We said, no, that is nonsense, it's going to be very close to normal. And we specifically said when it would be cold, i.e. after Christmas and February. We were right, they were wrong. In 1991, senior scientists at the Danish Meteorological Institute decided to compile a record of sunspots in the 20th century and compare it with the temperature record. What they found was an incredibly close correlation between what the sun was doing and changes in temperature on Earth. Solar activity, they found, rose sharply to 1940, fell back for four decades until the 1970s, and then rose again after that. When we saw this um, correlation between the temperature and solar activity and or sunspot cycle lengths, then uh, people said to us, okay, it can be just a coincidence. So how can we prove that it's not just a coincidence? Well, one obvious thing is to have a longer time series or different time series. Then we went back in time. So Professor Fries Christiansen and his colleagues examined 400 years of astronomical records to compare sunspot activity against temperature variation. Once again, they found that variations in solar activity were intimately linked to temperature variation on Earth. It was the sun, it seemed, not carbon dioxide or anything else, that was driving changes in the climate. In a way, it's not surprising. The sun affects us directly, of course, when it sends down its heat. But we now know the sun also affects us indirectly through clouds. Clouds have a powerful cooling effect, but how are they formed? In the early 20th century, scientists discovered that the Earth was constantly being bombarded by subatomic particles. These particles, which they called cosmic rays, originated, it was believed, from exploding supernovae far beyond our solar system. When the particles coming down meet water vapor rising up from the sea, they form water droplets and make clouds. But when the sun is more active and the solar wind is strong, fewer particles get through and fewer clouds are formed. Just how powerful this effect was became clear only recently when an astrophysicist, Professor Nair Shaviv, decided to compare his own record of cloud-forming cosmic rays with the temperature record created by a geologist, Professor Jan Weitzer, going back 600 million years. What they found was that when cosmic rays went up, the temperature went down. When cosmic rays went down, the temperature went up. Clouds and the Earth's climate were very closely linked. To see how close, you just flip the lines. We just compare the graph, just put them one upon the other, and it was just uh, amazing. Jan Weiser looked at me and said, you know, we have very explosive data here. I've never seen such uh, vastly different records coming together so beautifully to show really what was happening over that long period of time. The climate was controlled by the clouds. The clouds were controlled by cosmic rays. And the cosmic rays were controlled by the sun. It all came down to the sun. 
you had x-ray eyes, that appears as a nice friendly yellow ball would appear like a raging tiger. The sun is an incredibly violent beast and it's throwing out great explosions and uh, puffs of gas and endless solar wind that's forever rushing past the earth. We're, in a certain sense, inside the atmosphere of the sun. The intensity of its magnetic field more than doubled during the 20th century. In 2005, astrophysicists from Harvard University published the following graph in the official journal of the American Geophysical Union. The blue line represents temperature change in the Arctic over the past hundred years. And here is the rise in carbon dioxide over the same period. The two are not obviously connected, but now look again at the temperature record and at this red line, which depicts variations in solar activity over the past century as recorded independently by scientists from NASA and America's National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Solar activity over the last hundred years, over the last several hundred years, correlates very nicely on a decadal basis with sea ice and Arctic temperatures. To the Harvard astrophysicists and many other scientists, the conclusion is inescapable. The sun is driving climate change. CO2 is irrelevant. But why, if this is so, are we bombarded day after day with news items about man-made global warming? Why do so many people in the media and elsewhere regard it as an undisputed fact? To understand the power of global warming theory, we must tell the story of how it came about. depicts a planet that grieves for its lost harvests in coming to the parched... Doom-laden predictions about climate change are not new.
Now and then she talks to me And sometimes writes me letters To look on her face, I waste the time
Countries have denied Internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from ABR. The ABR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for one $49.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
Welcome back to New World Order Info. I'm Melissa Roxanne, and you're listening to me on TheAmericanVoice.com. And you can also go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and check out all the different ways to listen to AVR. So I'm going to get back into all these wonderful healing things from this book here I have in my hand called Natural Medicine Foods. And it's by Rex Adams, R-E-X-A-D-A-M-S, Rex Adams. So I was telling you about grape juice and asthmatic wheezing and lung spasms, the cranberries for that, and also an asthma victim's prayer. I'm going to continue on with that. And so this uh, four-and-a-half-year-old son of, of this woman was struck with a serious attack of asthma for no apparent reason. It lasted a week. For two years after this, chronic attacks of asthma followed. They never knew when they would strike, how long they would last. They went to the pediatrician constantly, and that provided only temporary symptomatic relief with medication and vaporizers. Nowadays, I know I don't know about back then, but nowadays they give things like albuterol, which is, you know, a steroid to inhale and things like that. And they say even with these, cyanosis often appeared. And she said, I believe that on several occasions it was the only prayer that saved that little boy's life. They saw allergists, psychologists, specialists of every kind. They were advised to get rid of the dog, to have no wool around the house, to avoid feather pillows. But the pattern of acute chronic asthma remained unchanged. Two Christmases in a row, the child had pneumonia. My mom had that, by the way. And the second time, I was nearly ready to collapse. At this time, I went deep into prayer. I told God that I've tried and done everything I knew how to do for my son, and if there was to be an answer, it had to come from him. And she says, Then something from reading came into my mind that vitamin E increases the body's ability to use oxygen. That's true. It's an oxygen transporter as is the MSM, the organic sulfur, as is vitamin C, as is baking soda. Those are just some of the oxygen transporters that, you know, increase the body's ability to utilize oxygen and, you know, transport oxygen. So she says, I figured there could be no harm in giving him 100 milligrams daily of alpha-tocopherol, and I started him as he was convalescing from pneumonia then age six and a half on this program. As of that day, 11 years ago, the attacks came to an end. We have had no more asthma and no more pneumonia, even though we live in one of the most smog-congested areas of the country, even though I have little control over the diet that a 17-and-a-half-year-old boy consumes when he's away, you know, at school or away from home. He rarely misses his supplements, which include now. 200 units of vitamin E daily. Now that he's 17 and a half, he was only four and a half when he was suffering with serious attacks of asthma that lasted for a week, etc. And they tried for a long time to to find ways to get it to stop, and it, they just couldn't. So then she prayed about it, and she says that before then she thinks that prayer was the only thing that even saved his life and worked, and so she got you know. Our Heavenly Father or the Holy Ghost gave her, um, you know, the answer, and it was vitamin E, alpha tocopherol. So 
Back then, she gave him 100 milligrams a day when she was when he was only six and a half. And then, as of that day, the attacks came to an end, and no more asthma, no more pneumonia. And now that he's 17 and a half, he gets 200 units of vitamin E daily. She goes, I'm not saying vitamin E cures asthma. I'm saying that my son, who is in a fair way to become crippled with this disease over a period of two years, has had no further lung developments since the regular employment of alpha tocopherol in his daily diet. If vitamins, minerals, or food supplements help in any way, they are clearly miracle medicine foods for the body. And from everything I know, it's also wonderful, the vitamin E for lots of things, including heart disease, um, you know, heart problems and things like that. And if it were me and I, you know, had that asthma problem, I would also definitely use the organic sulfur, the NSM, and I would use vitamin C because I believe those would also work to heal pneumonia or asthma or allergies. Allergies, okay? All of that, the vitamin C and the MSM for allergies, for asthma, for pneumonia. So those are things that I would use as well. But always check with your licensed medical practitioner. And, uh, you know, beware if you're on any kind of blood thinner. Vitamin C is a blood thinner. So is the vinegar. You know, so are a lot of other things like garlic and, and different foods and beverages, citric, citrus juices, etc. So you don't want to... Do anything if you're on a prescription blood thinner, which are, are usually rat poison like Coumadin, um, you know, used as rat poison. No joke about it. No no lie. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Look it up. You know, type in rat poison Coumadin. Of course, you're going to see sites that say it's not true that are, you know, allopathic, big pharma type, you know, liars about it. Um, but then there's the true stuff out there that tells you, yeah, you know, it is. And you'll hear Wendy Wilson say the same thing about it, you know, that Coumadin is rat poison on her show. Anyway, so miracle medicine food for instant relief of respiratory ailments is the next one. So it says here, nerve massage can be a miracle medicine food for your lungs. Reportedly rubbing the nerve ends on various parts of the body, which lead like telephone lines to the breathing system, can cause anesthesia and blessed relief. Called zone therapy, neuroflexation, pointed pressure therapy, or acupressure. It may be used in the following manner, say experts. For hay fever and asthma. Massage the thumb of each hand until there are no more tender spots. Do the same for the next three fingers, including the webs between. Several times a day, keep steady pressure on the thumb, first, and second finger for about 15 minutes by winding a rubber band around them, removing only to let the blood circulate. So make sure, you know, and be safe about it and you don't want to cut off your circulation or, you know, leave it on too long or do anything dumb, but that's what the book says. So, and then it says, um, for emphysema and tuberculosis, which they call TB, massage all the fingers on both hands with a press and roll motion, also pinching the webs and the pads under the fingers. Use steady pressure to anesthetize or deaden pain. 
and a rotating motion to stimulate circulation to the lungs. Here's some reported cases. One doctor reports that whooping cough can be cured simply and easily by doing this. An ordinary case of whooping cough, which has persisted for five for weeks, can sometimes be cured in three to five minutes, he says, adding that it never fails to bring relief. Another doctor reports spectacular cures of asthma. He says that one woman had such bad attacks of bronchial asthma that she was living on drugs and could hardly sleep except for cat naps in a sitting position with this technique, which they're calling miracle medicine food, in five minutes, for the first time in years, she was relieved of all pain and shortness of breath and no longer needed any drugs. An elderly man had emphysema for years and could hardly breathe. After using this technique for the lungs, he was able to take his first deep breath in 20 years. Instant relief. And that's just acupressure is what it's usually known by nowadays. So, And uh, I'll tell you again, it says for hay fever and asthma, massage the thumb of each hand until there are no more tender spots. Do the same for the next three fingers, including the webs between. Several times a day, keep steady pressure on the thumb, first and second finger for about 15 minutes by winding a rubber band around them, removing only to let the blood circulate. For emphysema and tuberculosis, Massage all the fingers on both hands with a press and roll motion, also pinching the webs and the pads under the fingers. Use steady pressure to deaden pain. They say, or, you know, they call it anesthetize or deaden pain, and a rotating motion to stimulate circulation to the lungs. So it healed whooping cough, it healed asthma, and it healed emphysema, and, uh, also, you know, it can heal a lot of things, I believe, from what I've read and from what this book says. So, um, another testimony here, hopeless victim cured after suffering 30 years. Um, Maurice Messaguay, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, in his book of Men and Plants, records the case of Mr. Rameau, an engineer from Paris who was suffering from chronic asthma. The man was physically exhausted. He had great difficulty breathing and had to pause every few seconds to catch his breath. Sir, he told the great French healer, I have come to you because the doctors openly admit they can do nothing for me. I have already consulted all the top men in the medical profession. I've been a chronic asthmatic for over 30 years, he continued, ever since I was gassed in the war. My really bad attacks are so fierce that I've never been able to take up any employment. And when I'm not having an attack, I'm in a state of suffocation. I have to sleep sitting bolt upright in a chair. And there are days when I can't even take a step up from the street to the sidewalk. It takes so much effort and courage and willpower just to go on living that I've more than once thought of putting an end to it. Messagway agreed to treat the man with his famous macerations listed in the book lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.